Welcome to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. It's the last week of March. The Final Four is upon us, both on the men's and women's NCAA tournament. And who better to talk about all that with than my good friend from the, uh, the sports director at KORN Radio in Mitchell, South Dakota, Travis Crins. Travis, how we doing? Doing good. I've watched some basketball this week, so. so that is always good. Yes, yes. Sweet 16 and Elite 8 games were there. Um, and three of the just laying it out there right away three of the four teams in the men's final four had ne- have never been to the final four before only Yukon is uh, has been to a final four before so just throughout all of the games and stuff what was some of your reaction to what took place in the sweet 16 and elite eight Kansas State is they just played a couple of great games is what they did Mm-hmm. In the Michigan State game is the game of the tournament so far. Yes. Um, just terrific. That was the first game I got to see. And I'm watching this game thinking there couldn't have been a better game than this last weekend. Nope. Shots and guys are making plays. And Marquis Noel has been the best player of the tournament so far. Yep. And that's, that's the way basketball should look every once in a while. Crins, I think that was the best game we've seen in the NCAA tournament, maybe in the last three or four years, minimum. Like, I, UCLA, UCLA Gonzaga, whatever that, that was. Uh, two years ago. That That's true. That was a very good game. That's all timer right there. Yep. They're like, you know, you got at least one game that's pretty darn good every year. So I would say probably the best game since that one. Yep. But yeah, you just had guys making shots and – May I say, you know, congratulations to San Diego State. Uh, but they're boring as hell. <laughs> they, are, they are not a pleasing team to watch. The worst game that I saw was Alabama-San Diego State. That was the complete opposite of what Kansas State and Michigan State was. Nobody could score. Mm-hmm. Team shot like 30-some percent. Ugly, terrible basketball. I thought when Alabama came out of the shoots in the second half and got up by nine, I thought that this game was done because I didn't know where San Diego State's offense was going to come from. Yes, their, their, their defense was going to keep them in it, but I didn't know where the offense was going to come from. And they called that timeout, they regathered themselves, they regrouped, and they came out a completely different team after that, and Alabama shot three of twenty-seven from beyond the arc. I mean, this team plays a lot, plays great defense, and takes a lot of threes. And they'll keep shooting the three even if they don't fall. This was a very, very bad night shooting threes uh, for Alabama. But SDSU uh, is the best three-point shooting defense in the country, and teams are shooting less than eighteen percent from beyond the arc against them in this NCAA tournament thus far. Therefore, you maybe shouldn't shoot threes. Well, talk about that to FAU because Florida Atlantic loves to shoot the three ball. I mean, Alabama, just they just kept shooting threes. It's like, quit doing this. This isn't working. Quit doing this. But they did, and that was the one danger of Alabama where, you know, they can score a lot of points, but if they go cold, they're probably going to lose. Mm-hmm. And they did. And it was uh, a terribly boring, sloppily played brick-laden basketball game. And, uh, yeah, Florida Atlantic, probably the, the hottest team to to make it since George Mason, I would say. 
and, and Butler and, and, and VCU. But considering they never won a game before, it's only their second time ever. Mm-hmm. I think they'd won more than 20 games once. And they're, what, 35 wins. It's like kind of coming out of nowhere. And it appears that their, their toughest game was their first game against Memphis. Yes, yes. And they had to beat Fairleigh Dickinson, which they should. Mm-hmm. And you know, Tennessee is a team that I didn't pick to win a game. Tennessee showed themselves in the Sweet 16 game. What was yeah. the what was the issue with Tennessee that we had going into the tournament? How are they going to score consistently with Nozatai Ziegler? And it, when Florida Atlantic went on that what twenty two to four run in the second half, that's what sealed the deal for them. And then you got all right, Kansas State. You're like, all right, Tennessee lost. That's good. You got uh, Florida Atlantic. That's all you have to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, the final four. That was a close game, and they let that one slip away at the end. And then with Kansas State, they lost, like their last three times, they lost to some not very traditional powers. Yes, yes. Get to the Elite Eight. Who they, they lost? Uh, Loyola, Chicago. Yes, and then they lost to somebody else. It's like, oh, you should have probably won that game. Xavier, if I recall correctly. There was another one in there that's like yeah. one of those mid-majors that made the Final Four. They like haven't Jade won, to, yeah. they, they haven't right won there an Elite Eight game since 1964. No, they've been there, but yeah, it's up. So I'll remember Kansas State. Their run was uh, very entertaining. And all the one seeds lose, and the regular season or the uh, tournament mirrored what the regular season was. There were no dominant teams. Mm-hmm. All the one seeds lost very, very quickly. First time ever in NCAA tournament history that no one seed made it to the at least the Elite Eight. All of them mm-hmm. bowed out by the by the Sweet 16. And there were no two or three seats either, so it's uh, mm-hmm. Kansas State made it, and that was about it. Uh, Texas, and, uh, Texas, Texas ended up losing. Yep, yep, because no, they, uh, they no should have had some fears. Yeah, a year that, yeah, very strange. Like, if we would have fast-forwarded two weeks and saw the saw who came out, we would have been like, what in the hell happened here? Miami makes it. right. For a lot of people, pick them to lose a twelve-five upset. Yep. And and Connecticut's just steamrolling people now, and it's like it, it'd be a stunner if they didn't win this one. <laughs> I and agree. But... Win it quite easily because they have just been been on another level. I I absolutely agree, but that also concerns me because that. It keeps getting bigger and bigger for him. And arguably, Miami shouldn't have even beat Drake in the first round. That was their most difficult game, Beat, uh, beating Drake. They were down by, like, nine, seven or eight points, nine points, with, like, under five to go. They should have lost that game to Drake. The, how they came back and won incredible stuff. But, yeah, I think they finished the game on, like, an 18 or 16-1 to one run, something like that come back and win that game against Drake, and they just steamrolled through everyone. I mean, that game against Houston wasn't even competitive. Um, Speaking of not competitive, like UConn, as you mentioned, they're steamrolling through everyone. Their closest margin of victory so far in the NCAA tournament has been 15 points, which is astounding. That was the first, or the second game against uh, St. Mary's there in the round of 32. Arkansas didn't even show up uh, to the Sweet 16. So I don't know what John Daly came to see at uh, at, uh, T-Mobile Arena, but it certainly wasn't Arkansas because uh, they they just didn't show up at all. Their 14-0 run in the first half uh, sealed that uh, their fate. Uh, 
as UConn pulled ahead 34-17. And then against Gonzaga-UCLA, Gonzaga if, if we're looking at games of the tournament, I would submit this game maybe in like the, well, a fantastic the first, finish. The first half was good, and then the second half was just... Fa- fantastic finish, I would say. Uh, oh, what were we talking about? Gonzaga. G- Gonzaga UCLA. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, I mean, yeah, that uh, first half was excellent, and those teams should fucking just play every year because yes. every time they play, it's great. Yes. Um, you know, so UCLA, who's down Adam, um, one of their big shot blockers, they were already without Jaden Clark, and that was the fear and I wish, you know, I'm going to next year trust my gut more than trying to talk myself into a team I like. I have to look at the whole entire picture. Because when Jaden Clark, the best defender in the country, went down with an Achilles injury, that was the that was the fear. Like, how far can UCLA go? And then they have a shot blocker out for their game against Gonzaga. And it was something where, like, okay, they have a very short bench, so how are they going to be able to do this? And they get up by, like... 10, 12 points in that first half there against Gonzaga, and you're like, holy cow, Like UCLA can't miss. They're doing great. And then the second half, they couldn't buy a bucket, and yet somehow still came back from 10 down and made a three-pointer. What uh, Bailey, I believe, the freshman, knocks down a three-pointer and gives, Gonzaga, or gives UCLA a one-point lead only to see Julian Strother for Gonzaga Come back and run a Villanova play. That's what Mark Few, head coach of Gonzaga, called it. It's the Villanova play when they when Jenkins hit that three-pointer right. to beat UNC in the national championship game. They run that play, and I thought when he initially when it initially left his hand, I thought it was going to be a tad long. I thought it was going to hit the back iron and, and bounce out. Nope. Pure as day. He makes it, and Gonzaga prevails. But a fantastic finish in that one. And then Drew Timmy picks up foul trouble in the game against UConn. And for Gonzaga to have any chance at beating UConn, they needed Drew Timmy to have that epic game like he had against UCLA where he dumped in 36 points and was just fantastic. They didn't get that. He was in foul trouble. And ultimately, UConn ran away with it. I didn't like the shot even though it went in. Yeah, uh, Kansas, Kansas State shot a lot of shots at the end where it's like, why are you shooting this shot? Yeah. So so many of those, again, every year it's the same thing. We're at the end of the game. They dribble, 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 shoot a 30-footer, and they really make it. It's the Steph Curry effect. Get to the basket, get a foul, do what, uh, do what San Diego State did at the end of their game. Vince Creighton, they got to the basket, tried to drive. Mm-hmm. Worked out for them, so yeah, good for him for making that shot. It was wide open. It made it before, but I didn't like it. It's like, why are you shooting this shot? It doesn't seem like a at, at best a forty percent shot to make that something like that. So yeah, then they and Gonzaga almost choked away. That would have been a historic lead. Where they're up eight with sixty-five seconds to go, and mm-hmm. there's no way you lose that game unless you miss all of your free throws and you turn the ball over once or twice. They they did all that. They just couldn't make a free throw. UCLA went almost 11 minutes without making a field goal in the second half. They won a quarter of the game. They won 10. They won a quarter of the game without making a shot. Yeah. But because they were so good in the first half, they were still alive. So, like, very frustrating when that happens. So, yeah, just a frustrating loss for UCLA 
And Gonzaga, people thought, yeah, maybe this is the year they win it, a year when they're not a favorite. And, of course, they didn't because they just never will. But I think so, getting but, to the Elite Eight, I think, is, you know, for this team, yes, you would like to get them to the Final Four. I didn't think they were national championship material necessarily, but I thought they could advance to the Final Four. But, I mean, you run into a buzzsaw like UConn, that's just not there. And, and to be fair to Gonzaga... That TCU, that 3-6 game against TCU, that was a really difficult game. That was close, and then you had to go against UCLA. So they didn't have like as, as easy of a road as some of these other teams like uh, you know, like Florida Atlantic or you know, San Diego State even. You would think one of these years they would just break through. Yeah, yeah. you would. You would. It was their year to beat Baylor a couple of years ago. That was their shot. Yep. And once that didn't happen, that was it. I Man. Do, yeah. I do. Well, apparently, Drew Timmy can come back. I don't think he will, but he can come back for another year. I was just going to say that. I like I how everyone. Like, when did this happen? I, it's the COVID year. I like how. I was just going to say. year was that year. I thought this year was. Oh, I can come back this year. Well, I, I, I don't know. Apparently he has one more year of eligibility left. I was just going to say, I love how everyone's saying, thank you, Drew Timmy, for everything that you did for college basketball. And I'm like, yes, he did a lot of great things. He was one of the best players to watch over these last four or five years. And yet he still could come back if he chooses to. I don't think he will, but maybe this, maybe the way that game against uh, UConn ended, you know, with him sitting on the bench, you know, with those four fouls and whatnot. Maybe the way, maybe that he wants to come back and play another year. I mean, his footwork has tremendously improved uh, from last year. And that's, I think, I mean, he's got that, that little baby hook that he can get there. He keeps his feet down so great and moves with the ball. So I think, I think the NBA now will take a closer look at him this year. But hell, if he wants to come back, he still has one more year. Like, if you're a him, I don't know what he wants to do, but like if you want to keep playing basketball, your best bet is to stay at Gonzaga. Yes. Yeah. Well, I don't want to go to Europe. I don't think the NBA that only has to happen. So, yeah, when in North Carolina's got a couple guys moving on, a couple guys staying. So, for some of these guys, it makes sense to stay because that's all for you. You're not going to make it in the NBA. So, yep. Um, I I will say I I do think we have been cheated out of you know seeing greatness continue in this NCAA tournament with Marquise Noel and Kansas State losing to Florida Atlantic and nothing against Florida Atlantic because it's a great story. It, South Florida has two teams in the Final Four this year: Florida Atlantic and Miami, which is just astounding. Miami completes this incredible comeback against Texas. Texas, you want to talk about a team shitting the bed? Like, they had a golden opportunity right there to get to the Final Four, and they just absolutely laid waste to it. I mean, it was bad. But for Kansas State and Marquise Noel, he was the star of the tournament. And I, you could talk about, you know, they always give the Mop Award, the most out, which should be presented by Libman. They, it's the most outstanding player of the Final Four. If you want to give a most outstanding player of the tournament award out, you should give it to Marquise Noel. I don't think there's going to be anyone from San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, Miami, or UConn that in, in, in the Final Four or throughout the tournament that did or will do as much as what Marquise Noel did um, 
in this tournament. He was unbelievable. In that game against Michigan State, hurts his ankle and still sets an NCAA record with assists in a game with 19. I mean, come on. That's, that's incredible. His four games are better than anything that anyone from the other four teams still remaining can do in six games. His passes were unbelievable. Yes. I don't know. I can't remember last time I saw a guy throw passes exactly where they should be under the basket. Guys were open. He got exactly there. It was unbelievable. And he made a shot every once in a while. Yep. Playing hurts. It was a, uh, it was an unbelievable performance. You, you figure, because you know, if he's out with that ankle, like they're not going to win that game because mm-hmm. he was out for a couple minutes and Michigan State went on a run. Like, well, they need him back in because if he's out, this game's done. Yep. So, yeah, yep. that's what you remember the game from San Diego State. You know, they, get, they got what, one guy that averages double figures and Fort Atlantic. Nobody knows who they are. Uh, Connecticut, they got a couple guys. They'll probably win it. And, you know, Miami, they got a couple guys that can score. But, yeah, he'll, he'll be remembered uh, as the best player in this tournament. And hopefully the Final Four is good. And, you know, we'll see what happens. It's probably, probably San Diego State and UConn. But we'll see what happens. I really hope it is UConn. Um, I picked them in one of the brackets to win. Because the last time the Final Four was in Houston, UConn won it. So I kind of that's why I went with them just on a kind of a whim, and, and here they are just dominating here. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they can beat Miami. I mean, Miami, I'm, I'm pulling up the guy's name here, who in the um, game against Texas came on, became only the second player other than, was it Larry Bird? I think, or was it Magic Johnson, to not miss from the floor. Field, oh, Christian Leitner. It was Christian Leitner. It wasn't either, of the, it wasn't either Magic. It was Christian Leitner. Um, it's uh, Jordan Miller. Had, no, that's the guy for, is that guy for Connecticut? No, nope, this is uh, for, for Miami. He was 7 of 7 against Texas from the floor, 13 of 13 from the foul line. The only, yes, Jordan Miller. Um, the only other player to not miss from the floor free throws or field goals in an NCAA tournament game, I think there must have been like a minimum number of like attempts, was Christian Leitner. So Jordan Miller getting in that company is awfully impressive. Where is Florida Atlantic going? Uh, they are going to, um, to the AAC, I believe. Florida America, okay, that makes sense. So does their coach stay, or does their coach leave? I, does he leave next freaking Monday? I I think he stays. Like, yeah, maybe I stay with this group. I I think I would. You're moving up conferences, so I would think I would stay. We'll see how. I mean, hell, you're in Boca Raton. I mean, that's you're not going to get very. You're not going to get better uh, places than that. Oh, and where? What's the opening? Is it just Penn State? Mm-hmm. So I mean, it your your choice is either stay at Florida Atlantic for at least one more year, see how it goes in the AAC, or you go to Penn State. Um, no, I think I'd rather take my chance on on uh, you know living in the beautiful uh, weather of Boca Raton. 
I mean, you have to live in Florida, which sucks uh, because right. Florida sucks. But um, I mean, I think I would keep Florida Atlantic over Penn State. Because Michael Shrew- Micah Shrewsbury, the head coach at Penn State, uh, left to be the head coach at Notre Dame. So that's significant. Um, I think, well, I, my, I learned, I did not know this, that the San Diego State head coach, Brian Dutcher, yep. Was in Brookings from 86 to 88. No kidding. He assisted for SDSU. No kidding. I did not know that either. So, Zach Borg in Sioux Falls, he tweeted that out, and nobody else really picked up on it. So Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Baylor Shireman there, that was an SDSU connection. Yep. So, I did not know that, uh, that that had happened, and nobody nobody's ever mentioned it, nobody's picked up on it, and he's there for two, three years. So Maybe it's because we hate being called SDSU, so we try and, you know, block everything out that... Is this is related? And speaking of San Diego State and Creighton, uh, plenty of people have um, thoughts as to how that game ended. Uh, Ryan Nempard fouled uh, Dorian Trammell, or Darian Trammell, excuse me, a little like hand check on the hip. Um, and I think, yeah, I went back and forth on it a little bit, but I think where I've ultimately come down here is I, it is a, it is a foul that should be called. But, uh, to kind of toe the fence here, that game was very physical, and they weren't calling that foul throughout the entire game. So why is it a foul there? I'm all for calling a foul when it occurs. But if you aren't going to call it the first 39 minutes and 53 seconds, you can't call it there in that situation with the game on the line. I I don't like it when refs swallow their whistles. If there is a legitimate foul there, that was a legitimate foul, but you missed everything else prior to that. That's what I have an issue with. So I'm, I don't mean to straddle the fence, but that's where I see it. It is a foul, but you need to be consistent with that. And that is the ultimately the big problem with college basketball officiating is the level of consistency with the calls. Block charge, I think they've kind of gotten better at that with the uh, cylinder and the restricted area. But when it comes to some of these other ticky-tack calls, you look at it, some guys are getting hacked like crazy, and they don't call it, and then you have a little check. Like, that short, that shot was going to be short regardless of that that little that foul there, I think. I don't think Trammell was going to make it at all. But if you're going to call the foul there, you have to call it throughout the game, and they did not. So... Yes, it's a foul. Yes, it needed to be called, but it should have been called the rest of the game and was not. And that's, I think, the issue that I have the most with it. I thought the Eagles got, I mean, the, um, I thought that Creighton got screwed on that. Um, I think this first time the Super Bowl officials have also called an NCAA tournament game. <laughs> yes. Um, so that's that. Well, Gene Stantor could house. do it. <laughs> huh? Gene Steratore could have called the Super Bowl yeah. and uh, NCAA Tournament Elite yeah. Eight game in the same year. Yeah. I thought I was fine with it when I saw the replay. He clearly had his hand on his hip. And I didn't watch that game as closely as it was on. But again, it was San Diego State. I was bored to death. I was like, this sucks. It's a game in the 50s. Somebody do something, please. Mm-hmm. So... I'm fine with it. It's unfortunate 
having getting cold at the end like that, but I'm fine with it because if you're the San Diego State and that happens, you'd be like, well, that altered my shot and that changed something. I was, I was pushed. There was contact there. So I'm fine with it more, more so than the end of the Super Bowl. And then, and then at the end of the game, I know a lot of people are kind of upset about you know the the timing issue with the clock, but it's fairly obvious that the clock didn't start when the ball was initially tipped. Um, so yeah, you have to call that right. Uh, I have an issue, <clears throat> and I've said this time and time again. I have an issue with teams using their final time out before you know, like like prior to an inbound pass to win the game and stuff. Why wouldn't you keep that timeout? You know what? You could maybe try and get you get a pass to half court. It takes four tenths of a second. And that way you still have six, seven tenths of a second. You can get a shot off. Uh, it doesn't need to be a tip in. I don't get why they do it. I would love to see college basketball go the NBA route, go the women's college basketball route where in, in the last, you know, 30 seconds or whatever, if you call timeout, you get the ball on your end by the basket. I mean, if the NBA does that and if women's college basketball does that, why can't the men? Like, it does, it, it's, it's frustrating to me that that happens because I think you deprive teams of a, a legitimate chance to win these games. So I wish that rule would change. But with that being said, how the rules are currently, how the rules currently are, if I'm a coach, I don't know why I wouldn't keep a timeout with two or three seconds left and try and get that ball to half court so you can draw up a play that you're only like 30 feet away from the basket, 40 feet as opposed to 70. Makes a lot of sense. In high school here, I want them to stop the clock after a made basket in the final maybe minute. Whatever you can do to make games closer at the end, to give teams a chance for an exciting finish, I'm all in favor of that. UCLA got off a tremendous shot at the end of their game with, what, like 1.2 seconds left or something, to 1.9, whatever it was. An unbelievable play to set up a wide-open half-court shot that almost went in. Mm-hmm. And I like that they got the call right at the end of the Creighton game, but also how, how long do we play the entire game, and then they never look at that, but they look at that at the last play and how many time, you know. The other 39 minutes and 59 seconds count, too, when it seemed like the final second. I look at that a little bit closely. So it's an unfortunate way to end the game. Mm -hmm. I I don't know what their plan was there, a catch and shoot. Like, when do you ever see that work? And I thought if they could have got the ball with just a tenth, you know, two tenths left, you throw it to Colt Brenner and he tips it in for the win. Yeah. But that never happened. And I don't know, you know, he wants something, a half court shot at least. And, and Kansas State couldn't even get a shot off in their game. So I, 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 you got to get a shot off. I like, and I, I guess that's the lone criticism I can give Noel is that he gave that ball up. Like, you need to have the ball in your hands and drain it. Because. What, uh, Masood or whatever, he was not good against Florida Atlantic, and he was the guy that had hit several big three-pointers throughout the tournament, especially, you know, he makes the one against Kentucky 
that I remember, and then he made a couple against Michigan State. But he was bad against Florida Atlantic. You're trying to get it to him or whoever? Like, just, Noel, keep it in your hands, dude. And I don't know, they probably didn't have a timeout left, but you see teams sometimes have a awful final possession or it's not going their way, and they waste, uh, they, they don't use their timeout. Right. Like there's three seconds left. This ain't working out. Oh, time on reset, but well, just yeah, look, really look back to that oh, that opening weekend, the the first games of the tournament, uh, where Virginia Kihei Clark has a timeout in his pocket and he throws it to half court. Oh. I mean, he has a guy standing there right under the hoop that he could have thrown it to, but you have a timeout, use it. Uh, Memphis uh, had a timeout and they threw the ball away, and it was turned over, and then they ended up using another timeout after the like. It's it's bad. It's just. It, I don't know what the analytics say, but I just go by the feel of it. And if I go by the feel, I'm saying I'm keeping a timeout. I know I don't get to go home with it, but I'd rather use it to get a better shot off or a better play than throwing the ball underneath my own hoop with 1.2 seconds left and hoping for a prayer that something happens. I It's just not going to more often than not. So Sometimes it doesn't make any sense. It's like, why are they not doing this? Why do they throw up 28-foot shots for no reason when you need a two to tie or two to win? I don't know. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff, lot of the stuff to do doesn't make any sense. So the oh. final four is set. It is the second highest total of seeding um, in you know since the tournament either I believe expanded to 64 or the second highest total in the last 20 years. The only other higher total, I believe, was in 2017 with Loyola Chicago, but this has a seed total of, uh, what do we got here, 23, and wow. and Florida Atlantic being a 9 seed. And we keep saying, what are the, which is this 8 seed or above that's going to make a run to the Final Four? Because we are seeing it more and more often lately. I think, you know, the lowest seed, we've had a couple of years where there hasn't been, but... Um, like South Carolina was a seven seed, and that was the lowest seed prior to like a, last year. It was UNC as an eight. We've seen Loyola Chicago and and VCU make it as eleven seeds. I mean, we we've seen uh, Syracuse was a ten seed one year when they went to the Final Four. Um, so you keep seeing this happen more and more and more. And you know, this year in the topsy turvy up and down year that was college basketball, where there was no dominant team. You just didn't know where it was necessarily going to come from. Uh, but I think, I think honestly, Memphis would have been that team this year. That yeah. and they would they lost to Florida Atlantic in the eight nine game, so that would have been the eight seed there. Um, so Florida Atlantic gets in as the nine seed. I gotta go San Diego State against Florida Atlantic. Every time I pick against Florida Atlantic, they ultimately win. Um, but I, I pick I pick against San Diego State too. I. For Florida Atlantic, I think the key in this game, you got to get at least 60 points. 60 points, if you can get to 60 or above, you force San Diego State to go to 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 score more on offense. Obviously, that's not what they want to do. They want to play really good defense, and Florida Atlantic plays uh, pretty good defense themselves. They're a pretty scrappy team. Uh, what uh, this Vlad Golden or whatever? He had a monster game against Kansas State with a double double. I think Florida Atlantic, if they can knock down 20, 
Is the magic number 25% of their threes, 25 to 30%? I feel like they want to get 30, at least 30. So if I they... feel like this has got to be like the, like the Tennessee game. Tennessee game yes. was a game where it didn't play very well for stretches and look like you're going to lose. So, I mean, they, they played a game like this, or what we assume this game is going to be, against Tennessee. So... They can, they can, I'll be rooting for Florida Atlantic pretty yeah. hard, but I don't. San Diego State is not. It's absolutely not. Yeah. So I think it. I think it is 30% of their... Th- I think that's the magic number for Florida Atlantic to win this game against San Diego State. Two magic numbers. One, they got to get to 60 points, and two, they have to hit at least 30% of their threes. Because that would almost... Even 36%, that would be double what San Diego State's been giving up. Um, and I think that's even lower now because Creighton was 0 for 11 in the second half against San Diego State shooting three. I mean, they were terrible. So that, that number now actually might be like 17, 16%, 17%. So if Florida Atlantic can even hit 33%, that's double what San Diego State's shooting. Don't shoot so many goddamn threes. If you know that, it's tough to shoot threes against them. I know you like to do that, but... And the thing is... Change your game plan and say, hey, this is not works. Let's try it out. We're three of twelve, or you know, three of our first fifteen. Let's go away from that. Well, and Florida Atlantic has made a ton of threes this year. Like that is their offense for Creighton. That's that's more of a, a um, that's part of their offense. I would have just fed it into Copperinner the whole the whole time. They kept forcing threes, trying to get them down. With Florida Atlantic. They're going to shoot threes, kind of similar to Alabama. Alabama shoots a lot of threes, regardless. Florida Atlantic. They shoot a lot of threes as well. So you don't want to necessarily go away from what got you there, but you do need to be smart in situations throughout the game. But I think Florida Atlantic's going to shoot the... They need to shoot the three ball more than Creighton did because that is their MO on offense. Uh, So again, I'm going to say at least 30% and 60 points. If If they hit those, I think Florida Atlantic beats San Diego State. Yeah, 30%. I, I hope so. I, you know, I have no interest in watching San Diego State play for a national title. Just they do not, they do not appeal to me. They're they're in Virginia. They're not quite that bad, but um, do not like. They're not like watching that play. Well, I th- the difference is between San Diego State and Virginia. At least when we saw Virginia in Minneapolis at the Final Four in 2019 was that Virginia had some really good stars on that team. Kyle Guy, um, DeAndre Hunter, had another guy or two. Like, they had some legit stars on that team. San Diego State, there's not that one guy that's a major star. I mean, what, Michael, Matt Bradley? I mean, he hasn't done much at all over the past couple of games. They do have, they're very deep, nine deep on the bench. They do have guys who average high single digits, so you can't really look to shut down one particular person because another one can go off. But, yeah, there is just not that um, – there there isn't any, like, star on that team that you're, you're kind of driven to. I thought it was cool, though, to see both Quezzy and Kevin O'Connell, um, Vikings GM and head coach, at the game uh, between Princeton – or at the game on uh, – was that on Friday night? Princeton was playing uh, Creighton and San Diego State playing Alabama. 
because those are their two alma maters. So that was pretty cool. They had a chance to meet up on Sunday. There we go. Yeah, Princeton rooting for them, hoping they could make a run. They, they played pretty well. Princeton? Yep. Maybe, are they, maybe they overachieved more than anybody else. I mean, they almost, yes. almost beat Creighton game a game for a while. But, you know, yeah, a Creighton-Alabama game, I thought would have been a whole lot of fun with a bunch of points. Yes, yep. But, and I was thinking, man, if we run Creighton all year, this should have been, may as well just take it. I was going to say, you know, what, what does this do now, since there always seems to be an 8, a 9, or a 10 seat that makes it now? You feel like you should pick one of those, but it's hard to hard to say which one of those teams is going to make a run. You know what's going to happen. You just don't know which one you hope to take a shot in the dark with with that team. I'm gonna depending on who leaves Creighton and whatnot. I'm gonna pick them and think to the Final Four again next year. Um, if Cockbrenner comes back, I think I don't know. Does Baylor have any eligibility left? We'll see. Uh, Ryan Nemhard returns. It sounds like they're in the running for a big guy from Virginia, which is good. You know, you escape Virginia, you get land in Omaha. That could do something. I think Creighton can keep this nucleus together. They're going to be really good next year again. Yeah. Anything like is next year going to revert back to normal where it's ones and two seats? It could. Michigan State is loaded next year with their incoming class. That is a... That is a team I'm looking at. That that's a team I'm picking to the final four as well. Sparty. Sparty. Michigan State. Yep. Michigan State never does well when they're a top seed, but they always do well. Right. I know. That's not good. And you maybe I'll take another flyer on UNC with Armando Baycott coming back. R.J. Davis coming back. Uh, Caleb Love not, but you know what? If I I would think that UNC is going to use this as motivation uh, this this year in. Uh, for next year, too. Like, hey, we can't do this again. That was embarrassing. So we'll see what happens there. On the other side, you have a pair of former Big East teams, Miami and UConn. Uh, We've we've just talked about it. UConn has been so dominant throughout this entire uh, tournament. When is it going to stop? And Miami can do it with their tremendous guard play, but I... I think UConn's just. I I think UConn's going to win. I Miami was lucky to beat Texas. They were lucky to beat Drake. They're a very good team. Don't get me wrong. Jim Laranaga, uh, surprisingly enough, 17 years to the day that he took George Mason to the Final Four, he leads Miami uh, to the Final Four for the first time ever. I'm not saying I wouldn't be shocked if Miami pulls off the win over UConn here, but UConn's just playing so well, and it doesn't matter who they. They play. They they just take on everyone. Their defense is great. They have tremendous size. They run the floor well, and they have guys who can shoot. Uh, so give me give me UConn over Miami here. Yeah, Miami really didn't get any respect all year. They were the probably the best team in the ACC. Maybe Virginia, maybe Duke, but yeah, they they made the run in a weak year and. They, they beat Houston and they, they just score a ton of points, which is good to see. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the way UConn's playing right now. Uh, Gonzaga kind of did this a couple years ago when they lost to Baylor. They were steamrolling everybody. Mm-hmm. And they you know, beat UCLA and they lose to Baylor. But, and, I mean, it would be weird if any other, any, if 
any other of these teams won it other than Connecticut being It'd be a first-time winner, well, and it, it would be just odd. Well, regardless, we are going to see a school go for their first-ever NCAA tournament win on Monday night. That's going to for sure be either San Diego State or Florida Atlantic, and then it's a matter of, it, you know, does Miami get there or not? Um, I, I'm going to go UConn to win it all. Uh, they did it last time it was in Houston. They're playing outstanding basketball right now. I probably just put the proverbial jinx on them, but... Uh, that, I, that's what I'm going with uh, here for their one for the one shining moment Monday night. UConn will be cutting down the nets. And I keep counting San Diego State. And one shining moment, it just boy, what a terrible song! Just what an awful song. One of the worst songs based on what it should be. Like, like after the uh, you know high school championships, you know what they played second. We are the champions. We are the champions, because that is a song that fits the moment, because it's pretty basic. We're the champions, and here are the champions. Good song, fits the moment. One shining moment sucks. Dollars to it. I know what you're trying to do. I ain't going to fall for it. I ain't getting, I'm not falling into this trap here. I love one shiny moment. I think they could play, you know, We Are the Champions or whatever after, you know. Uh, it, you know it's it, They don't play one shiny moment right away. It's the video montage and stuff after the interviews and after they lift the champ, the, the trophy and whatnot. So it's just the, the, the feel and the mood of the song. It ruins the whole deal. Because the last thing I want to watch of a, like a five-minute highlight video of the tournament is a song like that or a song that sounds like that. It's like, I understand a one-shining moment, this and that, and but the song itself, it doesn't, it doesn't set the mood, it doesn't, it doesn't jive, it doesn't correlate... What I'm hearing, what I'm watching, are two different things. I've asked Kelsey to play one shining moment at my funeral. Jesus Christ! <laughs> it's well, it's, seeing that, honest to God, that would make a lot more sense than this, because it is kind of like a sad, somber kind of lighter song. I I don't know. It, uh, to me, it, it fits a funeral more than it does. It's a, a highlight package for sports. It's a progression though throughout your the life it, and the it, life it, of the crescendo at the end, and it kind of picks up at the end a little bit. Yes, yes. It's a, it's a uh, it's, it's ball the, goes up. But here we go. Yes, oh, yep. It's the culmination. It's the it just talks. It gets your way through the entire tournament, and then all the 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 lovely music coming down. All the the you know the the wind chimes or whatever. It's just a a peaceful, calming moment. You're like, wow, we we what a tournament. It just and maybe and maybe a lot of it it's it's the words. Like you don't need words. The best songs, the best sports songs, are ones that don't even have words. The the intros for Fox, CBS, yes. NBC, oh, yes. NFL, NFL prime time. Yes. You got all these songs. Yes, that are just instruments. Yes, yes. And you put that on the back of a, of a highlight package of the NFL, and all those songs are great, and they all fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, this song to me has never fit. Still so. better than when Jennifer Hudson did it. Ugh, that was bad. 
Yeah. I view I view one shining moment like I view Christmas songs and the national anthem the same. Like only a certain select number of artists should be able to record a Christmas song because some will sing like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or Santa Baby or whatever, and they just wreck it. Like they just, it, it, it's like you're strangling a cat. You're like it's a murder. It's just awful. Stop it. It's like same thing with the national anthem. I don't need your. Oh, the home of the free in the last 38 billion seconds. I don't need that. Just sing the damn song and let us get on with it. Let us be patriotic for that one and a half minutes, 145. I don't need all this additional... Just shut up with it. I just want you to sing the song as it's originally intended. I don't need you to put your added touch to it. Same thing with One Shining Moment. They tried to do it with Jennifer Hudson. Everyone, or a lot of people that faced a lot of backlash and like, oh crap, we got to get back to Luther Vandross. Don't change it. I understand if you don't like it at all, that's fine, but don't change it. That's the, that's the issue here. It's always interesting when it comes to music or a national anthem or some performance, or the you know, Super Bowl or whatever, and then people go on Twitter and say, my God, that was... Un- Rihanna, just unbelievable, just tremendous, or some some whatever your singer is, and then I watch and I think that was terrible. <laughs> yes. that sounded bad. Uh, people apparently love Chris Stapleton doing the anthem, and I listened to him like, yeah, you know, eh. That was all right. So to, I didn't think it was one of the greatest things I've ever heard. To me, if I don't have a negative reaction to you singing the song, you did your job. Like, it, it's not like, oh, that didn't stick out as one of the best. Okay, it was sung the way it was supposed to. Great. If I look at it like, wow, what the hell was that? You know you did a bad job. So, that yes, that's how I look at it. It's not like, oh, that was the best ever. It's like I like it when like a jazz trumpet uh, player does the national anthem. Like the instrument, same thing. Yeah. The instrumental, those are cool. I can understand like adding a little bit of a flair to it there because you know you, you almost have to sing the words with it. You aren't getting the you know you aren't getting the the lyrics when you're singing. Uh, you know when you're listening to it as opposed to someone else singing it. it I mean, regardless. I kind of I, I like the instrumental version and stuff. If they add a little bit, they don't can't go overboard. But as long as you sing the anthem correctly, I'm like, okay, that was a good anthem. Wasn't the best I've ever heard. You did what you needed to do. You didn't do anything to wreck it. That's the key. Don't do anything to wreck the national anthem or wreck Christmas songs. Yeah, Christmas songs also because like at what point in your career. Have you made it long enough to where, whether you make that decision or somebody comes up to you and says, you know what, I think we should do some Christmas songs. Like when, when, even if it's not an album of songs, all right, you've made it. It feels like every, every Christmas song, it feels like there's maybe what, 20 of them? Almost like some of them. Like 20 Christmas songs, that's pretty much every Christmas song ever. Yeah. And they're, and they're all sung by every person who's ever done music. Well, like, the only person who should sing All I Want for Christmas is you is Mariah Carey. There have been oh. other renditions. They suck. Wham's Last Christmas, Wham should be the only one that sings that song. Even though they aren't, it's not a very good song from them, at least 
they're the originators of it. You can't be like, oh, we we made it better. No, you didn't. You suck. Sit down. Shut up. Uh, that like, no. You, you, people who have made like original songs, yeah. Like, if you other artists try and redo it, no, nope, can't do it. So, yeah, for for the most part, keep music out of sports because I don't give a goddamn about <laughs> on any of it. The bigger the game. The more shit we have to watch, it's like, I don't give a shit. A pregame concert, great, I don't care. Right. I'm not here to listen to some band, listen to some guy sing, I don't care. I'm here, here for the game that's going on, not Justin Timberlake, for Christ's sake. Yes, yeah, well, you'll see some of those concerts and stuff uh, Saturday at the Final Four in Houston. I'm sure they'll have a musical performance or whatever Monday night. Uh, this is also Jim Nance's last Final Four, so... Uh, Godspeed to him, and we'll uh, we'll see Ian Eagle here next year, uh, doing the final four. Uh, no. Women's final four that has been set. We have some new new teams in there, which is good. Of course, you have number one South Carolina, uh, number one Virginia Tech. That's uh, great. They beat Ohio State uh, Monday night in Seattle, and then uh, the dreaded Kim Mulkey and LSU, the three seed. <laughs> And then the best, I th- this is the best we could possibly have, is uh, the two-seed Iowa and Caitlin Clark. Caitlin Clark put up a triple-double in their win- in, in Iowa's win over Louisville in the Elite Eight. She was sensational. What, 41 points, 10 boards, 12 assists? The only thing that sucks about this Final Four is that Iowa will be playing South Carolina in the semifinal. I guess it means it, it's good because it guarantees that they play against one another, but I would have loved to see South Carolina go against Iowa for the national championship. Um, I still think South Carolina cut, uh, wins it all, cuts down the nets, undefeated season. Um, phenomenal year for the Gamecocks, but... I, I am very intrigued by this Final Four because of Caitlin Clark. We talk about Marquise Noel and how he was the the star of the NCAA tournament on the men's side, but he was a breakout star. We've known how great Caitlin Clark is uh, all year this year. She was a star last year. Last year was kind of her, her coming out party. This is a, a, a chance for us to watch something special against a, a very good South Carolina defensive team. Um, no offense to Virginia Tech. No offense to... LSU, well, we the offense can be intended for LSU because we hate Kim Mulkey with an unbridled passion. But the, I am very, I will be watching this South Carolina-Iowa game very intently because this should be a tremendous game. People seem to be interested in this stuff. The, the uh, Iowa-Louisville game, I believe, outdrew any NBA regular season game so far this year. Probably outside of Christmas. I think all year. Uh, let me... At the Christmas game, gets a big rating. Iowa, Louisville had two and a half million people. That was the number one game. You've had... I guess all the Elite Eight games, I think, had over two million. Uh, yeah, or three, three, I guess... Uh, three of the four Elite Eight games had over two million, so... That's a good, good run for them. It was the, um, it, it outdrew every college game, I guess. Outside of two Duke and North Carolina games on ESPN this year, 
Mm. The three, the three elite eight games were the most watched college games on ESPN. There you go. It also out, also outdrew a Nick Celtics game on ESPN for their largest NBA audience. That was a two point one million. This was a two and a half. So I'm, I'm sure I'm sure TNT's had bigger NBA games. Christmas Day is a bigger deal on ABC, but yeah, it's impressive to. Ratings keep on going up for whatever reason. You mm-hmm. know? And I just been maybe Caitlin Clark out South Carolina. You know, two and a half million for well, that game is a good a good number. Like even sure. even Virginia Tech and Ohio State, Virginia Tech. Uh, well, they've never been this far before. They're not a power at all. Mm-hmm. I got two point two million. So that got that got way more than what people probably expected. Yep. Yep, Uh, so the final four for the women uh, will start Friday in Dallas, and then the national championship game will be on Sunday. I do like that they they made that switch a couple, uh, what, a few years ago now where they're doing the the final four on Friday championship game on Sunday rather than Sunday and then Tuesday because I think it just got lost after the men's college basketball national championship. Everyone's like, okay, we're done here. Having it before, I think, is a very good idea. The only issue I have is you just had teams be done, uh, you know, finish their games on Monday, and now they have to play again on Friday. You'd like a little more time in between games there or, you know, be able to go back to campus or whatever. Um, But at the end of the day, I think the Friday-Sunday effect on the women's side that that schedule, it's better for for eyeballs. It's better for... uh, for the overall tournament, so I do like that switch for them that they made what five six years ago or so. Yeah, yeah, I get some more eyeballs on it. So it's kind of what they've been doing, and seems to be working. There's more interest in it. So yeah, I will again though. I will take South Carolina to take down whoever I. I, I want LSU to lose right away, but boy, if South Carolina could face LSU in the national championship game, and then South Carolina just whoop them uh, just to embarrass Kim Mulkey. That would be lovely, um, but I don't really want Kim Mulkey to even have a chance, a sniff at the national championship. So I'm still going to pick South Carolina regardless, but um, their most difficult game is going to be in the semis against Iowa. It doesn't matter Virginia Tech or LSU who they face. Um, they're going to beat either of them. Yeah, what well, what happened when they played LSU and South Carolina? Uh, South Carolina took them to the cleaners, I believe. Beat them pretty good. They beat them. Beat them by twenty-four. So maybe we get a rematch, but like Kim Mulkey just asked for it. The way she dresses, yeah, it's just awful. Um, come on. I misread a tweet. I thought it said, "Who's the most hated college basketball coach?" And I tweeted a picture of Kim Mulkey, and then. Huh. It was Overhated. I'm like, oh nope, I'm deleting this because I don't want people to get the wrong idea. Um, she is a despicable human being. So, on the men's side, uh, Texas Miami had 11.3 million. Yeah, it was down, I guess, from North Carolina St. Peter's last year. Numbers were down, but well, I, I mean, everyone wanted to see if St. Peter's could do it. Uh, yeah. you know, get to the Final Four, and also you have a far bigger basketball brand in there in North Carolina. Then you yeah. do either Miami or Texas. Yeah. 
And good for Texas, by the way, for extending Rodney Terry. Um, uh, that was something that they needed to do for what he had to deal with in, in the wake of the, the Chris Beard aftermath and keeping that team together and getting them to play tremendous basketball. That that was a very good uh, job, so I'm glad that he got the, the Texas gig mm-hmm. full-time. SDSU Creighton at $8.3 million. Uh, Connecticut Gonzaga at $8 million. And Fort Atlanta, Kansas State. Um, maybe the best game of the bunch was at $7 million. So that was last, but probably my most enjoyable game. Well, so, and, yeah. and keep in mind, too, that those games Saturday were on TBS. And yeah. the two on Sunday were on CBS. So you're, you're talking cable versus, you know, basic cable versus, you know, TBS. So that's uh, – factor that into the – that's pr- those are pretty good numbers still given um, – given the channel that they were on. Yeah. So, so I, I needed to watch, I pretty much watched every game this weekend or this week because I didn't get a chance that first week. So I'm yeah. like, I'm watching everything I can. Stayed up late to watch UCLA, Gonzaga, didn't turn it off. Glad I didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, Connecticut, Arkansas, I could skip that. So that was easy. Yep. But, uh, and then San Diego State games just did not interest me at all. They were on. They were not paid attention to hardly as much as the others. That game but, puts you to sleep. That yeah, it's like, oh, I, I got other stuff to do here. I'm going to, this will be on. So I keep track of the score. I'm not going to pay too close attention to it. Because mm-hmm. you can't score more, much more than 50 points. So that sucks. Yep. Yeah, uh, San Diego State, they have, uh, so far in this tournament, 63 in their first round game against Charleston. 75 against Furman. That was the 13 seed, so that makes a little more sense. They did score 71 against Alabama uh, and then got back down to their normal roots of like 57. So they've actually scored. That's why I think this is a little this is a little bit different team than other San Diego State teams in the past. They can score if necessary. It's just we... That Alabama game turned me some fierce against them. It was like, Jesus Christ, this, this is bad basketball. Nobody can make a shot. Yeah. And yet somehow there's it was still seventy one sixty four at the end. And then I'm watching all these other games and it's nothing but shots. Like, oh my god, UCLA Gonzaga, Michigan State, Kansas State, Kansas State, Fort Atlantic, shot after shot after shot. Mm-hmm. This this is enjoyable. Yes. Well it's been a very enjoyable tournament despite everyone's bracket going to shit. So yeah. um very good there. So yeah, in the final four on the men's side, we have a team from the Mountain West, a team from Conference USA, a team from the Big East, and a team from the ACC. So spread out nicely. Um, and really, ACC is the only power conference. I guess the Big East would consider, be considered a power conference in college basketball, power six. On the women's side, two from the SEC, one from the ACC, and one from the Big Ten. But it's some slightly different teams, at least two different teams in Iowa and Virginia Tech. So that's... That's good there. Get a new, new, uh, you know, some fresh blood in there. So, uh, very good. Uh, let's see, basketball. There anything NBA we need to get to? No. Okay. NHL. Nope. Uh, so, should we get to the diamond of the baseball season? What? Uh, what? Uh, one, one stupid thing here. Yes. Yes. What? What highly prized after NFL free agents? Maybe you see. I saw this. I feel like I'm almost the missing piece to get us to that Super Bowl. Who said that? 
as this guy goes to a team that just uh, made the Super Bowl two years ago and almost made it again this year, and this stupid son of a bitch thinks he's good. What probably my most hated player because I hate players that suck. I feel like I'm almost the missing piece to get us that Super Bowl. What stupid idiot said that? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let me Who do I hate? What, what player do I hate? Because he sucks. Well, Carson Wentz. But, uh... Yeah, true. I mean, it is ridiculous for this guy to say it because he does suck, but Carson Wentz did not, did not say yeah, that. I know, I know he didn't. Uh, I'm trying to think who... I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. Irv Smith joining the Bengals. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm almost the missing piece. Yeah. What the fuck are you going to do to help the Bengals go to the Super Bowl? Well, it would help if he stayed on the field. Is he going to play safety for them? Because that's an, I, that's an area of need right now for him. And I would say that the Bengals have gotten worse at the tight end position because... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, uh, C.J. Uzama went to the Jets a couple years ago, and then uh, who was their tight end last year? Hayden Hurst? He went to Carolina, I think. Why the hell would, no, I don't get it. Maybe he'll light it up. Maybe he's got a good quarterback or something now. I don't know. Maybe he'll stay healthy for once. Well, that's the key. He's got to stay healthy. I think he's got he's got a lot of potential if he can stay healthy, stay on the field, but he wasn't able to show that. Even when he was on the field, he sucked. He dropped passes. He couldn't do anything. Speaking of uh, guys saying ridiculous things, and we love him you know, for his time at the at the Vikings. He was great. He's going to go down as one of the best wide receivers of all time. Adam Thielen signed at the Panthers and stuff. And one of the reasons he said he signed at the Panthers, he said, "I want to go to a team that's going to compete for a Super Bowl." You don't have a quarterback, you dumb son of a bitch. You don't have a quarterback, Christ. Yeah, what what planet is Carolina even close to being able to compete for a Super Bowl? Detroit is closer to uh, competing for a Super Bowl than Carolina is. So, I'm sorry, Adam. Like, that's fine. You go to Carolina, but don't... Don't uh, like Minnesota's closer to a Super Bowl than Carolina is. I know the reasons why you aren't with Minnesota. Yet. Your, your salary was way too high. Who knows if if the team wanted him back or if you know he was willing what to. Well, Harrison Smith, he took a pretty significant pay cut. He did. He did. Um, he wants to stay, so good for him. Like Adam Thiel, I feel like he'll be out of the league in two years. Yeah. Like how? Like, like how is he gonna get? I don't think he's gonna overstay his welcome in the league. You know, you get those players that want to keep trying, want to keep pushing. Adam Thielen has a couple more years left in him, but yeah. it's it's just gonna be weird seeing him in as a Panther. By the way, the the Vikings this year will be playing games against. Guys who they, they let go this year that were longtime staples, the Panthers, they will go to Carolina this year, and they will uh, be playing the Chargers. Chargers go come to Minnesota this year. So, um, yeah, the, the Eric Kendrick signed with the Chargers. So two longtime Vikings will be playing against their former team um, this year. So, Like, if you were a receiver, there's not many places worse you could have gone to than Carolina. I mean, that just kind of tells me what the – interest was in him because why would you go there you're gonna get what cj stroud's your quarterback me i doubt i doubt well or bryce young bryce young i forgot that carolina has the number one overall pick yeah bryce young or cj stroud um like i i would take bryce young i feel like they're gonna take cj stroud and 
I don't see that going well. Why would you go to Carolina? I, I, well, they were desperate because they had to trade DJ Moore to Chicago. Like that's the bad thing. They, they sign. Um, who did, like the, this is the Panthers. The, these are their acquisition, their free agent acquisitions this year. Just off the top of my head, Miles Sanders, running back from Philly. Fine, okay, that's great. Uh, I mean, he's no Christian McCaffrey, but he's he's fine. Uh, Adam Thielen. Towards the twilight of his career, okay. DJ Chark, um, okay, like fine, but not, not any. Why would they? Why would they trade up to number one and give up so much when they're not a quarterback away? I don't think this is a strong quarterback draft, and it appears they're not even going to take the best guy. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, you have the quarterback whisper in Frank Reich. So that's that's the he was fucking wonders last year for the Colts. I mean, goddamn, it's just to me it makes no sense. There's not a okay. If you want to take Bryce Young, if they take Bryce Young, I'm like, all right, that's fine. I was okay with the, like they are. If they're not going to do that, I was okay with the draft pick. They also picked up Hayden Hurst, who I just I mentioned he left Cincinnati to go to Carolina. I'm yes, fine with them more. I'm fine with them moving up to number one, and I'm fine with them giving up a couple of first-round picks and a second-round pick. But the DJ Moore thing is, like, you're already void of talent on the offensive side of the ball. There's no way you can positively tell me, you could say with a straight face, that uh, Adam Thielen and DJ Chark combined are better than DJ Moore right now. You can't. Like, might their numbers combine for what Moore had this year? Yes, that that's very... Possible, but that's two guys doing what one player did. I, I don't under like you are, you are mortgaging the farm for a quarterback who's not going to have comp like good weapons to throw to. Like if you want your rookie quarterback to be successful, you better have a, a damn good number one wide receiver available, and that's what Carolina had with DJ Moore, and for that to, for him to be gone now, and you're just kind of. Picking up pieces here, morsel a morsel here, a morsel there. You're just putting this team together with scotch tape at this point. Not saying it, it won't necessarily work out, but you just no. you, you can't you can't give up DJ Moore and then say, oh yeah, we you know we're looking for our rookie quarterback to be successful. If that's the case, you need to make sure he's at least got a very good wide receiver there. You already gave away Christian McCaffrey, and. I mean, Miles Sanders is no Christian McCaffrey, so it, but at least he's better than Chuba Hubbard or uh, Deontay Foreman, who, who they had last year. So that's an upgrade there, but it's still not where they were at at the beginning of the season. I don't know. I, I don't know what Carolina's doing. Um, I, I, don't, I don't hate the wide receiver moves, but I hate that that's what they're trying to replace DJ Moore with. Like, I think the, they're decent options, but not for the success of your team this year. And I, like you said, who knows how long Thielen's going to last. It, yeah, I just, that that's not a, I don't like the trade overall. No, I can't imagine him being better We're with the worst team. No. Also, like, did ESPN, did they have their 24-hour bracket coverage? Did they have that or I don't think they did. did they? I don't think so. Well, they've had that in the past. Yes. Why don't they, why don't they in this next week or maybe after next week, since they don't have really anything else going on now, instead of having like a three-hour draft special or a three-hour special on schedule coming up here in a month, 
spend a couple of hours and go back and see what everybody said about the NCAA tournament and how long everybody is. That would be fine. I would be okay with that. Yeah, I think dude, I think Arizona is going to do well. I think Purdue's primed for a Final Four. I think Kansas is going to repeat. I think Houston's going home to the Final Four. How about you take two hours and say, Jay Billis, what did you have? Where did you go wrong, and why did it go wrong? I don't think the experts guys, though, would, say, hey, I don't think the experts would like seeing how wrong they were. Who? I don't think the experts would like seeing how wrong they were in their picks. Well, they're always wrong. They're never right, though. Like this is a business where like you just you just can't be right because it's impossible to be right. Right. Oh, I agree. Like, I mean, you just can't be. Right. Which I mean, leads me to another football thing. I think their egos would be affected, uh, and they wouldn't want to work. But why are we having you on then? If you're supposed to know more than us, yeah, right. You're supposed to, your your knowledge is supposed to make you better at predicting what's going to happen. Agree. Even uh, Dan Patrick. There's a guy on the Dan Patrick show. His wife correctly predicted the final four. Whoa. One of the, you know, however, probably a thousand brackets, if that, maybe 500 brackets out there that correctly predicted it. And she said, well, she used to live in San Diego and she used to live in Miami and she currently lives in Connecticut. So that's how she picked it. It ended up being right. It, it works. It, it works. That's, it works. That's amazing. And then Chris, Chris Sims, he likes C.J. Stroud the most out of any quarterback. He says it's very accurate. I I agree that C.J. Stroud, I think, is probably the best pure passer, but I like Bryce Young's intangibles and his smarts a little bit more. He compares C.J. Stroud to Joe Burrow. What? You do not want to compare everybody to the best of the best. No, no, you don't. This is as close to Joe Burrow as I've seen coming in the draft here. I, will, I mean, what Stroud did to Georgia's defense in the uh-huh. college football playoff – was amazing, and I think that's what I mean. I was already a, a CJ Stroud believer, but I think that's what really kind of ratcheted up the all this um, commotion a notch about. Oh, would you take Stroud over Young? I would take. I'm going to take Bryce Young over CJ yeah. Stroud, but it's to me the gap is not that wide. Like I'm looking at the the. I, I look at CJ Stroud. I think he's a better passer than. Bryce Young is. I think he's a little more accurate with the ball. Um, just the way the ball comes out of his hands is good. But if I'm looking, you know, smarts, if I'm looking at the running ability, if I'm looking at just the entire package, I'm going to take Bryce Young over C.J. Stroud. They say he's too small. It's like, okay. And you know, I mean, they get, like, when, when has size ever deterred a guy where it's like, well, if this guy was just – you know, 15 pounds bigger, if he were just two inches taller, he'd be really good. Honestly, that's why I thought Sean Payton was best served to be the Texans' head coach. Because he could have drafted Bryce Young. And, you know, because he's had a smaller quarterback in the past with Drew Brees in New Orleans. I and mean, I get he has that one now with Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's not the tallest uh, son of a gun, but... Russell Wilson's older. I think Sean Payton would have more success with a young quarterback that he can mold within his scheme rather than try and, you know, fit, you know, put the slipper on the foot, so to speak, with with Russell Wilson in his offense. And Chris Sims compared Zach Wilson to Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, that's not great. So Like if you do that Like no, you you can't I'm not saying fire the guy, but it's like why are we continuing to 
Chris Sims, what do you think about the quarterbacks? And he wasn't all that great himself. Um, he also ranked Kellen Mond over Justin Fields. Yeah, that, that no, no, you can't do that. No, Kellen Mond will never play in the NFL. Chris Sims said, why, why did you do that? He said, I don't do rankings for popularity. I do them because I want to be a GM one day. <laughs> what? How are you ever, ever going to be a general manager? Not Zach me. Wilson, my number one quarterback in this draft, feels like I'm watching Mahomes again. Exceptional throwing. Best arm in the draft. I'm surprised he doesn't say that about Will Levis this year. Who? Will Levis, the quarterback from Kentucky. He's got a strong arm. Boy, he's, he reminds me of Patrick uh, I'll give Chris Sims credit. He does not have Will Levis ranked very high, so that's good. I'm just, saying, I'm just saying with the arm strength, you could compare him to like maybe a Josh Allen or a Patrick Mahomes. No. It's like, and I, and I watched like two minutes of his pro day, which are, which is a waste of time. And he's out there just throwing the ball. It comes out of his arm so easy. All right. Like what? what is pro days? What is the point? Has anybody ever learned anything from a pro day? You're in there throwing to just, you're just, Basically, playing catch. What am What am I supposed to see at a pro day for a quarterback, for a receiver, for a lineman, for anybody? What am I supposed to be looking at? What am I supposed to be evaluating during an NFL or a college pro day that I haven't seen already? Mm-hmm. What am I going to pick up on Will Levis that I haven't? Oh fuck, he did that shit in front of nobody. With no rush and no defenders, it's basically watching like a like they don't have basketball players just shooting an open gym by themselves, do they? No, probably not. Like, well, okay, here, here's a basketball, LeBron James Jr. or whoever the fuck. Here's here's a basketball. Uh, just shoot shoot the ball a little bit. Uh, there's really nobody defending you. Just out uh, fucking fuck around for twenty minutes. You're not going to learn anything from that. It's a waste of time. And if the Vikings pick Will Levis, then I'm just done. No. I'm just done. I want Hendon Hooker over Will Levis. Because I think, I mean... Pick him in the third Pick him in the third round, absolutely. I would take him in the second round. Um, He's a 20, going to be, what, 25, 26 before he ever plays. He can sit, sit, sit for a year. You're not asking him to start right now, but if you want to look mm-hmm. at the long-term, like... What's the long-term answer for the Vikings at quarterback? Like that, if Hendon Hooker guy, may be uh, that guy. There, there's, a guy there's, there's a guy in Baltimore who doesn't appear to be very happy at the moment. I, I, but you're giving up two first-round picks for him? No. What would you have to give up to get Will Levis? Nothing. You could trade. You'd have, to up, you'd have to move up to the top ten. Well, that that's why I say you trade down and get Hendon Hooker in the second round. Oh, yeah. Hendon Hooker. Sure. Like Anthony Richardson, I think it's going to be terrible. Like people are so enamored with a guy's arm and how hard he throws. It, it's exactly why you got to look at the entire package. Like that's why Bryce like, Young. Yeah, it's it's a pitcher. Okay, a pitcher can throw one hundred and two, but he doesn't have control. It doesn't matter how hard he can throw. It's, exactly. Like how are we? How can I see this? And I'm not saying I'm I'm right all the time, but how? And, and I, I say I was wrong on Josh Allen. Yep. 
Uh, Robert Wine on some guys. Uh, Carson Wentz and uh, Frank Trubisky, I believe. Uh, we were, Carson Wentz, Frank I mean, Jake Locker was kind of like the first yes. guy. I, yes. This is fucking ridiculous. Yep. A guy who, again, like, I'm not going to draft him. And he was out of football very quickly. So I, I don't, the evaluation process is is messed up beyond belief. Just ridiculous. And, of course, I would like Aaron Rodgers next year. So that's where we're at. Indeed. Let's get to the baseball, uh, shall we, though? The baseball season. Um, I'll ask you about your fantasy drafts here at the end. Um, but the, the, the baseball season starts this uh, this week on Thursday. It, it's weird. Every team is playing on Thursday, so a little bit of a different um, kind of start to the year for for Major League Baseball. Um, so that's great. Uh we do know. Let's just go some through some of the changes and stuff. They they got rid of the infield shift. The outfield shift is still there. You have the pitch clock. Um, you have the and the, the batter the, the 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 clock for the, the for the batters. I believe um, every baseball team is going to play against one another this year. It's it's um, what what type of even scheduling or however you want to to call it. It's. I think that's great for the game. I like it's going to be similar to the NBA and the NHL, where you play every team in the league. You just play against some in your in your league more than you would others in the the NL or or yeah. vice versa. So, looking at some of these these rule changes and stuff, what are you most intrigued by at the start of the year? Quicker games feels like people are excited to watch baseball just to see what it's going to look like. Like they call it a pitch clock, but it's kind of almost like a batter clock because the batter has to be ready mm-hmm. and present himself by the eight-second mark. So it's a pitch clock, but it's also a hitter clock. The bases are bigger, so they're a little bit shorter. There should be a lot more stolen bases. I think you could see somebody steal 70 or 80 bases this year. We talked about that at one point this year about, like, does – you know, will we see a lot more, or will the stats not matter as much? What have you have you changed any thoughts on that in terms of you know the stats being watered down or it being a little more difficult? Okay. Well, because like you know, nineteen sixty eight, I think was the last big rule change where they where they uh, lowered the mound because nineteen sixty eight was dominated by the pitcher, and there was just no offense. I think there was one hitter who hit three hundred in the entire league. So, yeah, this has got to change. So they raised the mound, and offense picked up a little bit. And baseball became so stagnant and boring with nobody cared if they struck out. Everybody wanted to hit a home run, or they wanted to walk. There was just no action on the bases. Mm-hmm. No five or ten minutes without a ball put into play. It would be a walk, it would be a homer, it would be a strikeout. It wasn't much. wasn't a whole lot going on. So, encourage the running game. There would be big changes there. Like everybody loves the the time change. You know, but they could have policed themselves and not taken so long, and we wouldn't need this. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they're just trying to get back to where they were about twenty years ago when games were you know two forty, two thirty five. And that's good. That is very good. So, it's going to be exciting to see what what players. This affects negatively and positively. 
and uh, the the shifting's a big deal. And teams are they've already had two man outfield, so they've already continued to shift. Uh, it just puts that extra risk of only having two guys in the outfield. So, yeah, more changes than any other sport I ever remember mm-hmm. in 50, 60 years. And playing everybody else, I think, is a good touch, too, because, you know, if you want to see Shohei Otani and you're, I don't know, a Milwaukee Brewers fan, you may never get to see him. You may see him once, ever. So, you get a chance to see him every other year. Right. Yep, I, and, I, and I, that's what I really like about this schedule. And also, it gives teams a chance. I think every team now can look at this and say, especially like, um, you know, the, I don't know, the Royals. But like, let's say the Diamondbacks or the Rockies were like, oh, thank God we don't have to play the Dodgers and the Padres 18 times each this year. And just know that you're not in it at all. Yeah. Uh, you get fewer games against them. You get you get to play against everyone else. It gives every team a fighting chance. Even though some teams don't deserve it necessarily because their owners and the GMs are dicks and they just don't like they don't put a competitive team out on the field. At least you can look at it and say, "Okay, we get to play everyone this year. Everyone's got the same schedule, so the the pot the Dodgers don't have an unfair advantage of playing the Diamondbacks and the Rockies 36 times in a year." Uh, the um. The, the Yankees don't, you know, back when the Orioles were terrible. You know, you don't get to play, you know, they don't get to play the Orioles 18 times in a year. That's, I think, the good thing about all of this. No. Because if you were a team out west two years ago, you had Padres who won 100 games. You had the Giants who won 107. Mm-hmm. And the Padres who were disappointed but were still good. So, yeah, so it evens, evens thing out, the things out. I don't need to play the game 18 times. 12 is enough. I am playing twice there, twice at home. And we, we can play some other teams. So should we start in the AL first, or do you want the NL? The better league, the American League. Okay, right. all right. Do we want to go uh, west to east, east to west, or alphabetical? No, east to west. All right, east to west. Let's start in the AL East then. Uh, the New York Yankees, they bring back Aaron Judge uh, so that was, you know, the, the big thing with them. I mean, they, they crushed balls this year. They got Carlos Radon uh, to help with the starting pitching. Not that they really needed it at all, but um, this team, it looks like their starting pitching is better. Hitting-wise, are they going to be good? Well, we'll, I mean, they'll still be good, but will they be as good as in years past? We'll see. Uh, Baltimore, I think, is going to be that team, you know, with that they really surprised last year. I think they continue to take that jump this year. I'm a big fan of Toronto and and that young nucleus, that young core that they have. Tampa Bay will be fine. Boston, you know, shipping Xander Bogarts out and whatnot. I think it's another kind of rebuilding year for Boston. I don't see the AL East being as dominant as in years past. The Yankees still kind of on top, but uh, I like the Blue Jays and the the Orioles to to make this an interesting race at least. Yankees have a lot of pitching injuries. You know, Rodon, he's hurt. So we got maybe uh, maybe a month. Oh boy! See, see, I have, I've already missed that. So he's out. We got Luis Severino, who's been hurt quite often the last couple of years. He's pretty good when he's healthy. We got Frankie Montas, who I think the Twins were kind of on trading from Oakland last year, and he's he's going to miss like the entire season for the most or much of it. He'll be out for months. So they're they're pitching depth will be tested. 
early on. They'll have a couple guys that not many people have heard of early on. So, you know, they re-signed Anthony Rizzo. He's had a nice couple of years coming over from the Cubs. And they got a shortstop, Anthony Volpe. He's been a big prospect, and he's going to make his debut this week. So, Yankees are the favorites. But they haven't won a World Series in, what, 22, 23 years now. Nope. And they've only been to a couple since then. And they got a good team. They spend the money. When they're healthy, they probably got the best pitching staff, starting pitching staff up there with Houston. Um, we'll see. I mean, you know, Aaron Judge, you know, 45, 50 home runs. We'll see what he does. But obviously, it's, it's World Series for a buster for them always. But, like, the Red Sox aren't what they used to be, but this is uh, maybe top to bottom the best division because their worst team either Baltimore or Boston should still be still be around close to 500. So uh, do you have a prediction then for how the, this division will, will fare out? You don't have to give playoff teams right now, but... Um... I'll go Yankees, Toronto, Tampa, Baltimore, Boston. I think um, Tampa Bay, you know, they've got a bunch of good pitchers and nobody's ever heard of anybody. The same deal with them. Now, Toronto was a disappointment last year. So hopefully they even do a little bit better. I mean, they've got a World Series caliber team, so they should. Some some people won't like their pitching or bullpen, so they got a lot of big hitters, but uh, we'll see if the, if the Blue Jays get back to the playoffs. Red Sox made a lot of moves. With a bunch of old guys, so I don't, I don't like Boston at all. Baltimore won 84 games last year. They were the big surprise. I don't like their pitching at all. I don't like their their, their bullpen's good. I don't like their starters. Kyle Gibson starting for them opening day, which is not good. Um, they still got some prospects coming up. They've got some young guys there already. Hadley Rushman's their big catcher. They've got Gunnar Henderson, who's a shortstop, who's really good. So I think they maybe take a step back. I think they overachieved too much last year to where I don't think they're – I thought they were going to make the playoffs, but now the more I think about it, I think think they'll probably win like maybe 78 games. I don't think they're making the playoffs. I don't think they're finishing over 500 because I don't think their pitching is good enough. So they're still good. They're still on the right track, but – I think they take a step back because they they play a little bit a little bit out of their league last year. Uh, to the AL Central now, the the division we are most intrigued by normally because of the Minnesota Twins. They of course uh, got um, Carlos Correa back. Um, I really like what the Cleveland Guardians did, getting a couple guys, including Josh Bell from Pittsburgh, uh, uh, Kansas City. Continuing to rebuild. Chicago was a huge disappointment last year, but they could do something maybe. Detroit's still rebuilding, but they'll be more competitive here. I th- when we talked about Carlos Correa resigning with the Twins, and then they they added, you know, they traded Luis Arias to get um, to get some pitching, and uh, it seems as though there's more optimism around the Twins now after these late moves. How do we see this division, though, working, shaping itself out? What intrigues you most by the AL Central this year? 
feels like it's a two-team race. Twins and Cleveland. My Twins led this division most of the way. They were in the lead on September 4th. They were playing bad before then, but a lot of injuries. So, what I like about the Twins is now they, if they need something, they go and get it. Mm-hmm. If they need a starting pitcher, they go and get it. If they needed a catcher, they signed a Christian Vasquez, who's decent, from Houston. They, um, they signed Joey Gallo. They signed a bunch of guys. They signed Michael Taylor, who's a good uh, defensive outfielder. Because they know Buxton's going to get hurt. Yep. And he's going to start the year at DH. And part of the thing that makes him so valuable is his defense. But if he's not going to be able to play defense, or not played as often as he would like, well, then he, Buxton's not as valuable. So they've gone out, they've gotten depth, so if guys get hurt this year, they've got major league quality backups so that it's not a huge fall-off. It's not as huge of a fall-off as it could be. So I like this team. They've got a good farm system. They've got some injuries of some guys that need to, need to do something, like Trevor Larnick has been around for a while. He was a off-field prospect. He needs to do something. He had a very good spring. Mm-hmm. We've got Alex Karoloff, who's a very good hitter, but his wrist is always hurt. So, how I hear, long do you, I hear wait you on need a guys? good wrist to be able to swing the baseball bat and get some home that, runs. I can't think of a worse injury for a hitter to have than their wrist. You've got Kent Maeda coming back. We'll see how effective he is. You've got Royce Lewis. He should be back probably after the All-Star break. Mm-hmm. Where do you put him? Obviously, shortstop is kind of sealed up for the time being, for the next decade or so. So where do you do you put him in the outfield where he got hurt? You put him at third base. So where, where does he go? Buxton's health is always the number one thing. You've got Johan Duran, who is an excellent closer, excellent bullpen guy. Mm-hmm. The, they, they've never had a pitcher like him who can throw 100, 102 consistently, so he's exciting to watch. How do they use him? They, they never addressed the bullpen, which to me was the weakness of the team last year. They didn't. Well, they addressed they it a little a, bit in, in the season with some trades. Like, like last year, they or this offseason, they didn't address it at all. Right, yeah. So... If you your think- starters are better, that should help your bullpen. So hopefully that's the case. Sonny Gray kind of came out this week and said, yeah, last year going four or five innings with you know, like Chris Archer, Dylan Bundy, which they did. It's like, no, we can't have that. That's Six, what, seven, and one. That's what I was just going to ask is that do you think if they don't – because they didn't address the bullpen, they're hoping or they're expecting that their starting rotation will be able to take them deeper into game six, seven we innings. We but it's this philosophy of you don't ever want to go the third time through the order. And if that's the case, then guys just are never going to go past much past five or six innings. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just have to let them go out there. If they're pitching well, let them go. So this is the best starting pitching staff they've had on paper in a long time. Pablo Lopez, he'll be their opening day guy. No, Sonny Gray's good. Joe Ryan's solid. Uh, Tyler Molly, we'll see how good he can be. Kenta Maeda when he comes back. Kenta Maeda, you never know what you're going to get with him because of his injury. 
Uh, Bailey Ober pitched about as well as he could pitch in spring training and still didn't make the uh, make the team. It was like, what, what, what is spring training for then if he could not have pitched any better and he's sent to AAA? So once one of these guys gets hurt week two, he'll be called up immediately. So mm-hmm. they've got some pitching depth in the minors. So I think they're set up even if they get hurt. Hopefully it doesn't hurt them too much. But uh, this team is good enough to to win the division and make the playoffs. There's no reason why they shouldn't. But if everybody stays healthy, this, this, is, a, this is a playoff team. So I have Cleveland, Minnesota, Chicago, Detroit, Kansas City is my order in the Central. What do you have? Okay, we got the same. Yeah, Kansas City fourth, Chicago third. Detroit's terrible. Kansas City, they got a couple guys. Bobby Witt Jr. Yep. They've got Vinny Pascantino. He's a good hitter, first baseman, probably their best hitter. Sal Boldass, Sal Perez is still there. Got a couple of good young pitchers, so... Kansas City's not good, but they're, they're getting there. Okay, so so we just have then Kansas City and Detroit flipped. Yeah, uh, I think Detroit will be last. Okay. They've got Riley Green, who's a prospect. He's an outfielder. He didn't play very well. They had Spencer Torkelson, who's a first-base prospect, who was absolutely awful. You know, hitting 200 or under, just terrible. And the White Sox... Their window closed pretty quickly. Yeah. A lot of people like the White Sox. Other guys got hurt. So if they can stay healthy, well, they could maybe be in the mix, but be healthy first. So, And Cleveland, Cleveland's got the best pitching staff. You got Shane Bieber, Tristan McKen- McKenzie, they're the best one, too. Their bullpen is very good. They don't got a lot of stars offensively, but they got Jose Ramirez, who's a top-five hitter. And they got a bunch of other guys who are good that are not not big names, but are pretty pretty solid. So, Twins in Cleveland, I'll pick the Twins. But uh, yeah, this this division's got a chance at a wild card too. The AL West I find fascinating uh, because you got Seattle who made the playoffs last year. They you know, they, I think, continue to look good. Of course, you have the World Series champion Houston Astros there, but they aren't without some issues, especially with Jose Altuve out the first couple of months with a broken thumb. You have the interesting dynamic of Shohei Otani striking out uh, Mike Trout in the uh, World Baseball Classic to lift Japan to that title over the U.S. So we'll see if there's uh, some good-natured ribbing throughout the season there for the Angels. But I don't until they do something, until they make the playoffs, I ain't going to trust the Angels at all. The A's may be the worst team in baseball. They're absolutely awful. I think the most intriguing team here is the Texas Rangers just because of what they did in the offseason. You get Jacob deGrom... Um, to really help you get, uh, you know, you have Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon in there as in the in the lineups. This is a very it, it, let's just say Texas threw some money out this year, and I I gotta think that that's going to lead to certainly the potential to make the playoffs. But I want to see if these moves actually pan out, or if Texas is still a piece or two away. Maybe a you know whether that be a pitcher or bullpen. Maybe it's you know you just need one other piece later on 
But Texas is a very intriguing team to me. I think Houston's the best team, and they, they'll do fine without Jose Altuve until he comes back. Because it's not like he helped them much in the playoffs last year. Anyway, he was bad, uh, at least at the plate. But um, Texas is that team I'm very intrigued by this year. Spent a lot of money, but they're not good. Can Jacob DeGrom stay healthy? If he is, he's the best pitcher there is. We got Nathan Ivaldi, who's all right. I got a couple other guys. Uh, I still don't think their pitching is very good. Corey Seager's the guy, of all the stuff I read, he's the guy that theoretically should be helped the most by the shift since he hit the most into the shift. So I think Corey Seager could see, you know, 20, 30 points added to his batting average. So Marcus Simeon had a terrible start to this year and got better as the year went on. Hopefully he's more consistent this year. And they got a couple other prospects coming up. But I think Texas, I like them to finish. I'll give them third place, I guess, in this division. As will I. I mean, I forgot to mention Julio Rodriguez for Seattle is one of the best young guy, and he got, what, that, was it $400 million contract last year? I mean, he's fantastic. Yeah. One year, he got a big, big contract. I think, like, after seven years, he can opt out. So, to me, he's the best young guy in baseball. And I think he could threaten 40 home runs and 40 steals oh. right, this year, next year. Okay. It's good to see the Mariners be good because they they, they've been so close here for a long time. And they made some big moves. So they got uh, Luis Castillo from from Cincinnati, and that kind of helped their pitching staff. Yep. And so they're they're a good team. Really played well against the Astros. Just couldn't score. I mean, they were they were right there with Houston. So mm-hmm. they they've added some some hitters. They made a trade with with the Blue Jays. They got Teoscar Hernandez, who's a decent hitting outfielder. So their bullpen is excellent. So a good young team with the Mariners. I think they finished second. Astros, I think, are going to win the whole thing again. They're obviously we know we know what I think about Houston. Um, they got the best pitching, Lander, mm-hmm. but the rest of their staff is excellent, and they've got you know injuries which concern me. Um, Jordan Alvarez had a hand thing that he's playing, but hopefully that doesn't affect him. But they still got they got Jose Abreu brought him over from the White Sox. They got Kyle Tucker, Alex Bregman, Jeremy Pena, and a lot of good good, good guys. So yeah, Astros, Mariners, Texas. My least favorite team every year is the Angels. They had a bunch of guys with nobody good. Otani should get out of there next year. Say, so get me out of here. Mm-hmm. They were, trade, trade these guys. Quit doing the same thing over and over. Their their pitching sucks. They're not going to finish over five hundred. I don't know. Why would you stay there? I don't know. You wasted Mike Trout. Get rid of him as well. This is you having two of the top five guys is fine, but it doesn't mean you're going to win. They haven't won. Trade them and get a bunch of prospects. Try that because your farm system is terrible. Mm-hmm. So the Angels, I hate them. 
And Oakland is Oakland. So they got a bunch of. I mean, they, it's the same thing with them every every year. They they get good. They trade their good guys to bring in cheaper young guys, and then three years later they're good again. And they trade some of those guys for cheaper younger guys, and then they're bad. And then three years later they're good again. Like move them to Vegas, get them out of Oakland. Make make them more competitive because there's talk about expansion here to get to 32 teams. Are we thinking uh, Nashville and Portland would be the logical spots? Like let's say Vegas, let's say Oakland moves to Vegas. Do you get do you place them in Nashville and Portland? Yeah, Portland wants a team. I put one in Vegas since people seem to go to Vegas now. Vegas and Portland and Nashville, maybe Charlotte. Oh yeah, Charlotte. But I would like, I would like Vegas, and I would like, I would like Nashville. So we can kind of, if you can move, uh, you know, thirty-two teams. I don't know about that. Maybe I would move Tampa Bay to Nashville, keep them in the East, and I would move Oakland to Vegas. Okay. Okay. It would be curious if you know they do go to thirty-two. The They'd have to move, I think, almost to like an NFL, like four, uh, eight divisions of four teams each. And I'd be curious to see what um, realignment would be like. I'll do that exercise another time. Um, we'll get to the playoff teams here and uh, the award winners and stuff here momentarily. Let's go to the NL side, though. Let's go to the NL East. Um, this is a, another highly competitive division. The Philadelphia Phillies made it to the World Series last year. It was a very surprising run. The Atlanta Braves still really good. The Mets shelled out a ton of money for the likes of you know Justin Verlander, and you know they've they all of the course had the injury to their closer in the World Baseball Classic. So Edwin Diaz is out for the year um, more than likely. That's not great. But Max Scherzer should be good once again. You know, you pair him up with Verlander. That's Great. So how how do we rate this NL East in terms of the top three? Because I think I think the Marlins will be more competitive, but it's so difficult with those three teams: the Phillies, the Mets, and the Braves all ahead of them. And the Nationals just suck. Um, they, they they traded away uh, Juan Soto, got a bunch of picks back. I mean, they, this is a definite rebuilding process for the Nats. Um, it's a three three horse race in the NL East. So how do you see it all? Um, uh, playing out. I'm interested to see what the Braves do like for the next 10 years. Because they have seemed to have signed every young player they have for the next 8 to 10 years. Or I don't ever remember a team doing that. I like it because these are all guys who are still fairly young and the Braves have won this division like many times five times in a row now. Mm-hmm. And they did that in the 90s and 2000s. They had a great run. And they won a World Series here. So I, th- I think the Braves are the team. Uh, you know, they're, they've got everybody signed up. So there's no reason why they shouldn't be good for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. They got, they're just, they got every, everybody, everybody stacked. They've got, they've got the two guys last year who finished one and two in Rookie of the Year. And Michael Harris, the second outfielder, 
got Spencer Strider, who's my favorite pitcher. They've got Acuna. They've got Austin Riley at third base. They've got Matt Olson, who they got from Oakland last year at first. Their their pitchers are good. Like growing up, I didn't like the Braves, and like even a few years ago, I didn't like the Braves. They were a team that I would never watch on MLB TV, but I like I like them now. They they are an excellent team. So I like bullish on the Braves. Mets made a lot of moves. But the Edwin Diaz contract was stupid. And he gets hurt. DeGrom leaving fine. He's too risky. Yeah, Rolander and Scherzer, they're obviously not long-term options. Mm-hmm. They can be there for two, you know, two, three more years, maybe. Signed a Japanese pitcher. They re-signed some of their guys. Uh, the question with them is always their offense. You got Pete Alonso, who hit, you know, 40 home runs. He can get that done. Uh, Francisco Lindor had a good bounce back here. Uh, Jeff McNeil won a batting title. They've got Sterling Marte, who's still good as he approaches the mid-30s. So they've got some stars and some talent on offense. So they should be, should be all right. They got some injuries, though. I don't, I don't, like, I don't really like the Phillies all that much because they obviously overachieve. They, they barely make the playoffs. They have some injuries, too, to Reese Hopkins and yeah. – and, um... Uh, yeah, Bryce Hop. Um, uh, uh, yep, and uh, they did sign Trey Turner, so that's that's significant. But you know, with Bryce Harper and Reese Hoskins out for a little while, that's gonna that hurts the 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 offense for sure. Yeah. I, I don't like the Phillies. I don't even know if they'll make the playoffs since you know they made the, made the big run, almost won it all. I think they're overrated. Uh, you know, Bryce Harper probably be back around the All Star break. But that elbow, got an elbow thing, he DH'd for a lot of last year. And I, I, I like the rule of the DH because if that was the case, Bryce Harper wouldn't have barely played at all last year. But he could play, he could hit, he just couldn't throw. Uh, they signed Trey Turner. They've got, they got Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. That's a one good one-two punch at the top of the rotation. Mm-hmm. Um. Bullpen, not crazy about the bullpen. So, I don't think I will pick them to make the playoffs. I mean, they were they were a disappointing team before they made it. Mm-hmm. Like any other year, they're not making the playoffs. But expanded playoffs, they make it and they got hot. Yep. Uh, Marlins, they're there. At the, what, Stan, uh, Sandy Alcantara, he was the Cy Young. He's the rare guy who I think he had like six complete games last year so. It can be done. You can live through throwing nine innings of baseball. Good to see there. See how Luis Arise will do. I'm sure he'll be absolutely fine. And hit 320. They got Jazz Chisholm who got hurt. He's their big star. So he's an exciting player. So, yeah, they're not going to be great. But they're the Marlins. And the Nationals, kind of like Pittsburgh and Oakland, are going to be one of the worst teams there. So. So I think we have the same order then: Atlanta, New York, Philly, Miami, and Washington. It, it feels like these divisions, like there's going to be some surprises. Yes, but you just look at it from last year and what teams that it feels like. Like would it be a, a shock if the Mets won the division? No, they were you know led it for a lot of last year before the Braves caught them. 
I think my but, shock this year would be Miami making the playoffs. Miami being better than Philly and making a wild card. Wouldn't be a surprise. It seems like every division teams are kind of slotted. Here's the best team. Here's a second place team that could maybe be in first. Here's a third place team that's all right, where they could make it if things go their way. Here's an awful team, and here's a team that's not very good. I think you can do that for the NL Central. The Cardinals get Wilson Contreras, the catcher from Chicago. Uh, they're already a strong team, so I like St. Louis here. Milwaukee, huge disappointment last year. I think they bounce back. I'm very curious to see what the Chicago Cubs do, what the Chicago Cubs look like. They spent a whole bunch of money this offseason getting a ton of players, uh, more than I thought that they would do. But they went out and they signed a lot of guys. Um, so we'll see if that pans out or not. Pittsburgh and Cincinnati are going to be basement dwellers. Uh, who knows what the hell Cincinnati's doing? Uh, it doesn't really matter. I got them. I got Pittsburgh four, Cincinnati five, whatever. But St. Louis, it's really a th- again kind of three teams that are interesting. Chicago wasn't good last year. I think they'll be better this year. Um, but overall, I think it's more so. It comes down to St. Louis and Milwaukee. And honestly, I've lost some trust in Milwaukee. You uh, traded your closer hater to San Diego. Um, last year, and I, I just like St. Louis overall. I don't like St. Louis, but I like them to win this division. Yeah, they're kind of a boring team. Well, they got the MVP, Paul Goldschmidt, who had an excellent year, but doesn't scream superstar. He's like the John Rahm of baseball. Oh, okay. No, he's excellent, but nobody gives a shit about John Rahm. <laughs> um, they got Nolan Arenado, who's excellent. And they signed Contreras from the Cubs. Uh, Adam Wainwright is older and he's hurt. I think he's got a groin issue. Uh, he's 41. This will probably be his last year. He was good last year. so Yeah, he should just retire. Uh, pitching, yeah, they, they need some pitching. That, that, would, that would help on the pitching side of things. But yeah, they should be the favorites. Uh, the Brewers have a bunch of guys that are excellent. They got Corbin Burns, who's a young winner. Brandon Woodruff, who's pretty good. Uh, they got Devin Williams, who's an excellent, a top five reliever. And they've kind of relied on the home run. So we'll see how the Brewers do offensively because more running is now encouraged and they really don't have a bunch of guys who you would think would be runners. They're kind of a home run hitting team. So we'll see how the Brewers, if they change at all. I really don't know what the Cubs are doing. They're not close to winning. So I uh, maybe second least favorite contract was Dansby Swanson. Mm-hmm. He's a good player. He signed a seven-year deal for 177 million. I feel like seven years for for 120 would have been fine. I don't see that working out at all. Uh, they got Cody Bellinger from the Dodgers, who's been absolutely terrible for two years after winning an MVP, winning Rookie of the Year. Like you, you usually don't see guys like that just completely fall off the map. Mm-hmm. Go from one of the best hitters in baseball to he can't even hit 200. <laughs> so he's uh, there. They're hoping he can he can bounce back. They signed Eric Hosmer, who's awful. 
Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't see them finishing five hundred. They so, made some big signings, some big names. But. Yeah, they, they signed names. They signed big. Yeah, big names, but guys that are either um, towards the end of their career or guys who are kind of lost and they're hoping to regain some of that magic from a few years back, right? Uh, like guys who are maybe past their prime. Like uh, it should be better and competitive. They got Marcus Stroman, who's their best pitcher, who is good. They got a couple other guys, pitchers who are decent, you know. But yeah, uh, they don't do, you know, they got a couple guys that can maybe surprise, so we'll see. They got a number five starter, Hayden Wesneski, who nobody's ever heard of, who I liked to pick up. At the end of the at the end of the fantasy drafts, mm-hmm. it could be somebody pitched pitched well last year in a couple games. But like if things work out for the Cubs, you know they they, they could be good. Maybe Danby Swanson to have a career year. They need Cody Bellinger to, to do what he used to do. And like if that happens, then you know they could be competitive. But I don't see that happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pirates are terrible. Yep. Um, we got Andrew McCutcheon back, which I assume he just wants to spend one year there and call it a day. So, um, they got a couple of young guys. They got O'Neill Cruz, who's a shortstop, mm-hmm. played last year. He's he's exciting to watch. His his production's not quite there. His production needs to catch up to his. Because he hits the ball harder than anybody else. He's a six seven shortstop for Christ's sake, which is extremely tall. Mm-hmm. He hit he hits it hard. He throws the ball hard across the diamond, but he only hit two thirty three. So he hit seventeen home runs in eighty seven games. So he could you know, potentially hit thirty thirty five home runs. So he's an exciting player to watch. But uh, struck out too much. Didn't walk enough. So. He's exciting, but he needs to get better. So, at least that's somebody to watch if you are a Pirates fan. And then the Reds, they've got they've got some prospects who are interesting. They've got Hunter Green, who pitched last year for him and kind of struggled as a rookie. And they've got some they've got some young pitchers who could be good. He's one of them. They've got some prospects who are intriguing. It seems like the Twins and Reds continue to make trades. The Twins send their prospects to Cincinnati, so we'll see if any of those Twins prospects turn out to be any good. Got uh, Joey Vada, who's 39, who is hurt again as he uh, this last year of his deal. But it looked like he was about done and finished like Miguel Cabrera. But then all of a sudden, he found something a couple years ago. He he found power, which he never had before. He hit a career-high 36 home runs when he was 37 for a guy that usually hit around 20 to 25 home runs. Traded some average for some power. So I think he's a Hall of Famer. And this is the last year of his deal. He's got a... $20 million team option next year, $7 million buyout. So maybe he'll play one more year, so hopefully he can be healthy. But here are the Reds. you got a couple of, couple of young pitchers to be excited about. And 
to see if any of these guys he got from the Twins are any good. So I think we have to see more to them in the Central. St. Louis, Milwaukee, the Cubs, Pittsburgh, and Cincinnati. Uh, we'll put Cincinnati over Pittsburgh. Cincinnati over Pittsburgh. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, and then finally, the NL West. And no team has, I think, done in like the offseason what the Padres have done. And that's just shell out all of these contracts and make all these trades. You get Xander Bogarts. You, 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 dish, you, you dish out money like it's going out of style or like it doesn't matter what the luxury tax is or anything like that. I mean, this Padres team is just loaded. You're going to not have Fernando Tatis Jr. for a little while to begin the year from that suspension. You still have Juan Soto. Manny Machado has signed him to a gigantic contract extension. Uh, I mean, Hugh Darvish is still there. Uh, this, this is the team, I think, to beat on the... Um, in, in the division this year. Normally, it's the Dodgers. The Dodgers have had to cut back a little bit here. They're still going to be really good, don't get me wrong, but I'm going all in with the Fathers, and I say I think the Padres are going to do it. There's a lot of pressure on them, a lot of expectations, but when you spend the kind of money they did you ex- for the players that they did, you expect the results. So I think San Diego is going to be outstanding this year. The Dodgers are great, and then the rest of the division just falls apart. The Giants caught lightning in a bottle a couple years ago. They're not going to be great. Uh, Arizona and Colorado still... Um, still trying to figure things out. Arizona might be a little more competitive this year, but to me, this is a two-horse race between the Fathers and the Dodgers. This is a good rivalry. These teams, I don't think, like each other. Nope. Everything I said about the Braves, how I liked all their signings, I hate all the signings that the Padres did. Because the Padres are signing all these guys who are already 30, and they're signing them for the next 20 years. 10, 10 to 12 years. Mm-hmm. But the Xander Bogart's contract was ridiculous. Yep. They've got you Darvish, who is 36 and a half years old. They've signed him through his uh, through his 40-year-old season. So hopefully for their sake, he continues to pitch into his late 30s. They gave Machado a huge contract. Juan Soto, they've got a decision to make on him. I don't and know. He, and he might make more than all of them. I don't know why you would trade all of those prospects to Washington for Juan Soto for a year and a half. You have to lock him up. You would think so. You would have to do that. And they wanted, I mean, they every big free agent out there, it was reported that they went after. They had they were after Aaron Judge. And I think they even offered more money than the Yankees did. And they were after Trey Turner, and he turned them down. So they were hell-bent on spending $300, $400 million on a play. Yeah. Um, But them them and the the Dodgers, great playoff series. They beat the Dodgers, but then lose to the Phillies. So they they spent a ridiculous amount of money. And we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, I like the Dodgers to win the division. People seem to be down on the Dodger, Dodgers. Uh, their pitching depth has been so good, but now they got a bunch of injuries, so it's not as good. Uh, Clayton Kershaw hanging on, you know, five, six innings from him. You get Julio Urias, who's a Cy Young caliber guy. Noah Syndergaard is there. Eh, he's, he's average at best. 
So they're gonna they're gonna need some pitchers here. Walker Buehler's out for a whole year with Tommy John. Uh, Tony Gonsolin, he was an All Star last year. He's got a sprained ankle, so he should be back. But they're they're not as deep, I guess, on the pitching side as they used to be. Uh, Gavin Lux was a shortstop for them. He's hurt for the year toward his ACL early on, like in the first days of training camp. I think their offense is still good. They got Mookie Betts. They got Freddie Freeman. At uh, Will Smith, one of the better catchers. They signed J.D. Martinez from Boston. They're hoping he can bounce back. He's 35-36. So, I, I still like the Dodgers. People are poo-pooing on the Dodgers. But I, I still like them. I like them to... It seems like the Padres have... They've disappointed these last few years. We've expected a lot from them, but they have not delivered more times than not, they've been disappointing. Giants, they could always surprise somebody. Um, they got Mitch Hanniger from Seattle, who's been injured. He's if, if healthy, he's all right. They got Michael Conforto, an outfielder from the Mets, who missed all of last year, but he was good when he was healthy. So they could always surprise some teams. The Rockies. They've got Chris Bryant, who I had no idea why he would go there. And he played well last year, but he only played 40 games. So that's not good. The Rockies are the Rockies. Arizona, they've got like the prospect in baseball, Corbin Carroll. They signed him already to an eight-year deal for $111 million. He's played less than three months in the majors. Yikes. if he, if he is what he is supposed to be, then that's a great deal. But if he sucks, then he wasted $100 million. I picked him with my first pick in the drafts. Ooh. In one of my drafts, where there were six keepers, and he was out there, and I had the eighth pick, and doing a mock draft, I'm like, yeah, there's no way he's going to be around at pick eight. But he was, and I picked him up, and I'm excited about it. So Excellent. He's an exciting player. Or Corbin Carroll, he's the, he's the favorite for Rookie of the Year and all that stuff. But, yeah, Rockies and Diamondbacks, other than that, not very good. Uh, they got Arizona's got Zach Gallen, who's a Cy Young contender. They traded for a catcher from Toronto, Gabriel Moreno, who's 23 years old. He's somebody who's supposed to be something. So, Arizona's a young team that's got some guys. So they so, could be the surprise this year, but otherwise more so next year, we're thinking? Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe Arizona makes a jump. They had uh, Christian Walker last year, a first baseman who had 36 home runs, which is quite a, quite a bunch. Um, they, they had a 22-win improvement last year. They won 74 games. Hmm. So maybe they, can, maybe they can finish with 80 wins. But, yeah, it, Padres, Dodgers. The one, the one bad thing about the schedule change is they only get to play twelve times. Right. And those were heated games in the regular season, and that was a great playoff series because those teams hate each other, which is good. But I, I like the Dodgers. Show, show me something, San Diego. I've been burned by them too often to just say, "Yep, they're going to win it." So I'm going to go with. With the steady hand of the Dodgers. So 
I and have also San- predict that they do nothing in the playoffs. I have San Diego, the Dodgers, the Giants, the the Diamondbacks, and the Rockies. You just have the Dodgers and Padres flipped, right? Otherwise, the rest of the orders same. Okay. All right. So that means then let's go to our playoff teams, and we'll get to some award winners here. In the AL, um, I have Houston, the Yankees, Cleveland as division winners, Toronto, Seattle, Minnesota, and Baltimore as wild cards with the White Sox and Texas just missing out on the wild card. What do you have for your AL playoffs? You got Houston 1, Yankees 2, Twins at 3, Toronto at 4, Seattle at five, Cleveland at six. I think uh, you'd have Twins, Cleveland. I think you just pick Cleveland because Twins can't win. You know, Toronto, Seattle should be a great series. I'd go. Wait, are there just six teams? Wait, did, did I? Are there only six teams in the playoffs? They're not seven. Six. I believe. Is it only six? Yeah, yes. I believe six. Okay, then I screwed up. I'm, I'm taking Baltimore out. Baltimore just misses out on the playoffs for me. All right, so six teams get in. First two get a bye. Yes, yep. Three-game three, three game series for those first teams. Okay, who would be your team that just misses out then in the AL playoffs? God damn, I left out Tampa Bay. I like Tampa Bay. I don't want to leave them out. Fuck it. Take out Cleveland, put in Tampa Bay. Okay. Like Tampa Bay. Twins, Tampa Bay. Twins beat Tampa Bay. You can't beat fucking Tampa Bay two out of three. Twins win a playoff game in a series for once. Well, it's great. That's a great matchup because you have two teams that play in domes. And yes. So it's great for uh, October baseball. So get that done. They also got Seattle and Toronto. Seattle got a retractable roof. So you got that. Um, feel feel like between Toronto and Seattle, I want to pick one of those teams to to make a move. I don't know. I like Houston to win win the whole thing. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, yeah, give give me Houston. It can't go this way. I don't know. It's I, I like Houston Seattle. I want to see Houston Yankees. I want to see a Houston-Seattle rematch, even though they – it'd be Houston-Seattle and then the second round. Mm-hmm. So, because the Yankees are going to beat the Twins. So, Houston to win it. Mariners, you got to do something here. You got Julio Rodriguez. He is – he's the real deal. Do, do, do something here. So, Toronto was kind of like the Padres where yeah. I feel like they underachieved even though they won 90-some games, but I felt like Toronto, I think, was my World Series pick. Yep. I think you had to, you had Toronto against Milwaukee, and I had Toronto against the Dodgers. And two teams that disappointed in Milwaukee, and especially the group. So yeah. um, give me Houston. I, I just don't want to see the... So who do, you, who do you have in the ALCS besides Houston? Are you putting the Mariners in there? It'd have to be the way I have the seeds. It'd be Houston Yankees again. Okay, same with me. And I have the Astros winning. Yes. So, 
we are we are uh, the same there. Uh, so then on the NL side, I have Atlanta as number one, San Diego two, St. Louis three, the Dodgers four, the Mets five, Milwaukee six, Philly just missing out on the playoffs. Who do you have? Atlanta one. Yeah. Cardinals two. Dodgers three. Padres four, Mets five, the Philly six, I guess. Oh, you're not you're not including Milwaukee, huh? No, not 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 Milwaukee, no Milwaukee. <laughs> so I like uh, the Braves. Braves to get through. Uh, let's do uh, yeah, Padres, Phillies. Go Padres. You'd have Dodgers. I guess Dodgers, Phillies, Dodgers. You'd have Padres, Cardinals, like similar to last year. Padres. Give me, give me a, a boring ass final of Braves Cardinals with the Braves winning. Okay. And I have the Braves Padres. So there we go. And so we both have Houston against Atlanta in the World Series. So congratulations to the other 28 teams. Um, who do you have? You have Houston winning the World Series, I assume? Yeah, I do. Okay. Same, same we got some injury concerns, and you always worry a team coming back. So what, they've made the ALCS, what, five, six years in a row? And they made the World Series, what, three, four times? They won two of them. Yeah, I mean, they, they're, they're just excellent. They, they have worked. That's how a rebuild goes. So, to me, those are the two most talented teams, the Braves and the Astros. How about... Now we'll go to the Cy Young and the MVP. Uh, AL Cy Young for me. Ugh. You know what? I, I was going to go with, with Bieber. Going with Bieber fever. But I'm going to go with Fromber Valdez from the Astros. All right. All right. Good, good little under the radar pick. That's good. I like Julio Rodriguez. Um, I like Alec Manoa, pitcher for Toronto. Okay. He's a big guy who is, uh, I guess you would call a fat guy. Um, like a Bartolo Colon? <laughs> he, he's, he's bigger. He's bigger. Holy shit. He's, he's solid. What do is, what, what are they list this guy? Um, like Cologne's kind of a sawed-off son of a bitch. Alec Manoa's six six. He's six six two sixty. So he's he's a big boy. I like him. He is twenty five years old. This will be his third year. Um, two point two four ERA last year. He was third in the Cy Young. So I like him to win it this year for Toronto. Okay, and AL MVP. I am going with 
I'm going with Shohei Otani. I thought he should have won it last year. I think he does it again this or I think he puts up good numbers this year. The Angels suck. I don't like giving it to a, a team that's going to finish second to last place, but he's the best. I would you know, maybe a Vlad Guerrero Jr. would be nice to give it to. I don't want Judge to win again. Trout's won it, but Shohei does it all, so give me Shohei Otani. I'm not picking him or Trout because that should be illegal. As long as Otani does what he does, he'll win it every year. Judge had to hit 62 home runs to do it, and it was still a discussion of, well, what do we, what do we think? I like Julio Rodriguez for Seattle. His first month he struggled, but then he was excellent the rest of the year. Mariners are going to be good. So if it's not Otani, I think it's going to be Julio Rodriguez. I think he's a perfect combination of power and speed for what the game's going to be. And I think he's the next big star. Okay. I like that pick. How about... I want uh, two dark horse picks. Okay. Uh, Christian Javier for Houston as a Cy Young. Okay. Dark horse. He was excellent last year. And then, I guess... MVP Adley Rushman for the Orioles, I suppose. He's okay. their catcher. So Baltimore's going to be good and make a playoff spot. He's their catcher. He's 25. He got called up last year. Played pretty well. So he should be in the MVP discussion if if Baltimore makes, makes the playoffs. He should be a big reason why. Okay. How about on the NL side, then? The NL Cy Young, I'm going with Spencer Strider from Atlanta. Son of a bitch, Deck. <laughs> Is that who yeah. you're going to? Yeah. I love him. He's got a mustache. He's got thighs the size of a goddamn bull's ass. And he strikes out guys like crazy. I think I remember seeing highlights last year. He was just striking yeah. out batters like crazy. And to me, I feel like he's somehow underrated. He averaged almost 14 strikeouts per nine innings, which is just, you know, reliever numbers. And he's a starter. He had a 2.67 ERA. He had 202 strikeouts in 131 innings. He had 71 more strikeouts in innings, which is absurd. If he can stay healthy... I I love him. I think he's excellent. He doesn't walk anybody. He doesn't give up any hits. I think he's great. So yeah, Spencer Strider. He was second in the in the rookie of the year. Mm-hmm. According to did he not get any Cy Young votes last year? For Christ's sake! I mean, I, I think I, I feel like he's underrated. I feel like yes, he's. I really don't even know like who else is out there. We got Scherzer and Verlander, and I mean, does you like, Darvish turn the clock back a little bit? Uh, it's like Kershaw's not going to pitch enough innings; he's going to miss some starts. And Degrom is out of the league, so I mean, he's yeah, it's like NL Cy Young could or could be odd, but Max Free, his teammates, awfully good as well. Yes, yep. I like. I, I he's my favorite pitcher. All right. NL MVP, give me Juan Soto from San Diego. I'm going to go Nolan Arenado for the Cardinals. Okay. Goldschmidt won it last year. 
Arenado, I think, was in the mix. So we'll give it to him. It feels like, well, like in the American League, there's a lot of guys you could give it to. Mm-hmm. But like in the National League with MVP and Cy Young, it's kind of like, like who, who do you even give it to? I agree. Can I give you a dark horse for the NL Cy Young? Okay. How about Alcantara from Miami? Yeah, that's a good one. He, I think he won it. Yeah, he won it last year. And it's just if, if he's just so much better than everybody else, despite being on a bad team. Yeah, he was. He pitched well, and he's another guy that may regress because of the shift. Because a lot of his stuff was towards the shift. Mm. So we'll see what what happens to him. But yeah, he could. He's uh, he was great last year. My my dark horses would be. Michael Harris from the Braves, Rookie of the Year outfielder, he could be an MVP. I feel like the Braves have like five MVPs. Could be him, could be Ronald Acuna, uh, could be Austin Riley. I feel like they've got a few guys. And then I like Zach Gallon with Arizona. I think he could be a a Cy Young guy on a a under-500 team. So, that's our season preview for baseball. We'll see how that goes. And again, the opening day is this Thursday. Um, finally, before we go, uh, tell us how your fantasy drafts went. At 1 at 3 o'clock Sunday, this is my most extensive and in-depth fantasy baseball league on CBS Sports. Guy in Nashville invited me probably five years ago, into it. This league's been going on for almost 30 years. Wow. Been going since like the early to the, the mid to late 90s. Wow. So this, this league's got some history. Mm-hmm. You have 43-man rosters. You can pick up minor league players and store them on your bench for years to come. I very much... This is... The, the, the most in-depth and realist of, of a baseball fantasy. Okay. So I like it. I only had four spots to fill. You can keep you can keep anybody you want. You have a $280 salary cap of fake money. And you keep anybody you want, but their salary goes up $5 the next year. Oh, okay. I had four spots open. I got Alex Bregman from Houston. Who I've liked for a while, and I got him now. I like him. I got uh, J.D. Martinez. Hoping he has a bounce back here for the Dodgers. I got uh, Brandon Nimmo for the Mets, who, who did well. And, guy uh, who I missed out like on one of the top movie? two catchers. I, I needed a catcher. Oh, okay. But I got Danny Jansen from Toronto, who hit well last year. He played. Mm-hmm. Played the 72 games, hit 260, had 15 home runs. Like, all right, you do that again, I'd be fine with that. So, did that. That wasn't too bad because I didn't need a lot. And then the waiver wire, last night the waivers went through and you pick up some guys. So, that's that's exciting. I, I put $50, which is quite a bit, on uh, twin second baseman Eduardo Julian who uh, played well for Canada in the World Baseball Classic. I think he'll be up maybe later this year. Okay. He can replace Luis Arise. So I think Edward Julian for the twin, second baseman, is going to be a great hitter. So, And when you pick up a minor leaguer, 
they're even though I, I, I paid fifty dollars for them, their salary is zero. Okay. So they get cold. So he's there. Uh, my Dustin Brinkley, which I have come also close to winning. Like I've finished runner up twice. I mean, like I've been in the longest. I've switched my philosophy from I used to be heavy on pitching, so I'm heavy on the offensive end because I feel like I can find some pitchers along the way and pick them up. I think it's easier to find pitchers than hitters who are surprising players. So that was at 6 o'clock. There was some sort of an air, so it didn't get started until 6.45. I had my shot in Kirk League at 7. So there was a little bit of a overlap, but this was just a straight a straight draft of picking players, no bidding, no nothing like that. So that was the easiest of the drafts, just uh, pick a guy, forget about it for five minutes and move on. And then David Schottenkirk, his leg, I finished second in that last year. Um, that's a, every year is a new, new team. And my team's name is Joe Buck Yourself. <laughs> that's great. So we're hoping for a good year for Joe Buck Yourself again. Um, I got Trey Turner last year, really liked him. Got him again. He was, uh, you've got $260 in this league. Or 25 players, I believe. Um, Spencer Strider was the 17th guy to go up, and he was the first guy that I got. I got him for $37. Nice. And I got Pete Alonzo for 35 Austin Riley for 26 uh, Trey Turner was the 34th guy nominated. I got him for 46 And I, cause I, I spent a lot of money on those top three. So, mm-hmm. um, Byron Buxton, who I had last year, I got him for ten this year, which is probably half of what I got him for last year. So, ten bucks for Buxton, give me a hundred games, hit me twenty-five home runs, and then I finally had to get some pitchers because that's required to have pitchers on your team. So, I got Michael Harris for Atlanta, who I really like. If you haven't noticed yet, yes. <laughs> I, I I went through it. I'm okay. Sleepers, you do your research. I research this like the people do the NFL draft and all this other shit that I complain about. Um, and there was a lot of pictures that I, that I got too late for a dollar or two or five bucks. And I'm like, I can save some money on pictures who I like. Mm-hmm. So I got uh, Drew Rasmussen. He's a starter for Tampa Bay for $5. Uh, Tyler, uh, Tyler Anderson with the Angels for six. He was excellent last year for the Dodgers. I had him in another league. I gave up on him too quickly, and he just continued to pitch well because I didn't think he could sustain that, so I'm sure he'll turn to shit this year for the Angels. Uh, Patrick Sandoval, another Angels pitcher for a dollar. Um, David Peterson for the Mets. Clark Schmidt for the Yankees. Uh, Jared Schuster for the Braves for a buck. And uh, mentioned Hayden Wesneski, the yes. number five starter for the Cubs. So a couple guys at the end of the draft who nobody's heard of, but hopefully they'll hear hear of them by the end of the year. Very good. Well, good luck to you, uh, especially in the Dust V draft because I want or league because I want you to get a jersey. So I I, I won the basketball league, which I don't give a shit about, and years ago I I haven't I haven't made the playoffs the last two years, 
I won it a couple of years ago, and I ended up getting a Michael Jordan North Carolina jersey. I'm like, give me that. Mm-hmm. Wherever time they get it for 20 bucks, I'll say, I'll take that. But, again, like, uh, the baseball one, I think I would get Ken Griffey Jr. Mm. Mariners won it. If I were to ever win, I think that would be, that would be what I would pick. And... Yeah, it's it's a fun time because there's not much to do at work right now, so this takes up this takes up a half hour of my day or so. So Thursday we're we're going. It's exciting, and yeah, well, it's a lot to a lot to keep track of. Well, we will get the hitters and pitchers of the week award. Uh, not uh... well, I got an idea on that. Let's what what, what I okay. We can we can talk about that next week. Was it ever? Was it? I wanted to do like maybe every other week, because yep. at the end they start to run out. Yes, yes, no, that's fine. That is that so maybe is go totally. like we won't go we won't do the award next week since we'll only be like four four games in. Yeah, go so. go like the first maybe month of the season without one, and then we can do one maybe every other week. Okay. But at the end of the end of the year, you'll probably have twelve guys, I guess. Perfect. Yep, we will do that. Then get watered down. Yep. Something like that. All right. Well, you have a great rest of your week, my friend. Enjoy the Final Four. Enjoy Major League Baseball opening day, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. See you later. Travis Crins joined me here, Sports Block Podcast. Always appreciate his time. As always, it is a uh, great, great time of the year. Major League Baseball opening day is on Thursday. Final Four in Houston and Dallas. Uh, Houston for the men, Dallas for the women. Again, I'm going with San Diego State against UConn. UConn winning it all. Going South Carolina against... uh, I'll go South Carolina against LSU. South Carolina winning it all. Uh, Complete the undefeated season. So, next week, uh, we'll talk about some baseball. We'll we'll react to the Final Four. We'll talk about the Masters. uh, I think soon here, we will start with... Uh, Jeff Lloyd the second, either next week or the week after, previewing offensive prospects in the draft, defensive prospects, and our mock draft as the NFL draft then is what we'll look forward to next at the end of April. You can find this podcast available on podcast.com. Follow me on iTunes. Or it also is available on iTunes. Just search the Sports Block Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at ND Stack and Facebook Nathan Stack and Travis Krenz on Twitter at Travis Krenz. A link to the podcast posted middle to later part of each week. The NHL playoffs will be starting here soon. The NBA playoffs, fantastic time of the year to be a sports fan. So for all of us here at the Sports Block Podcast, for Travis, I'm Nathan. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week. Enjoy the Final Four, and we will talk to you next week on another edition where we crown one shining moment and a champion here on the Sports Block Podcast.